The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 200. 200 episodes of this thing over the course of four years. And we're doing a live brawl crawl episode, fight companion, whatever you want to call it. We call them brawl crawls here. It's like a pub crawl, but with fighting. Today's Wednesday, July 15th. Very special Night of the week for a very special 200th episode. We're going to be doing live commentary for UFC on ESPN 13. Cater versus Ige. Before we get into anything else, let me introduce the man who has been here since episode one, which is is nowhere to be found on the internet. Um, I, I have the audio file of it, but... It, maybe it's because I had no idea what we were doing. Maybe because there was too much beer and bourbon involved in that episode. Whatever the case, we've done over 200 of these because there's been some two-part episodes. There's been you know, some bonus content here and there. There's been YouTube videos and everything. But before I get into the, the thank yous and all of that, the first thank you has to go to my trusty co-pilot for the last four years. All the way from New Jersey, Jeff. Yeah, Wilson. Jeff, two hundred episodes, my man. How you feeling? Bill, you can't thank me, man. I mean, I'm just here riding your coattails. This is your brainchild. <laughs> I'm just waiting for us to get our own show on HBO so I can curse <laughs> and quit teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if HBO is involved in combat sports at all, but anymore because now they don't do boxing but i mean we could pitch it it would be like uh it would be like Step Brothers pitching a show <laughs> it wouldn't be it, would, it wouldn't be pretty we wouldn't come in with like powerpoints or anything jeff i just figured out like how to put the logo in the background of the youtube video today after <laughs> i've been using this platform for like a year now and I figured out how to put this scrolling thing on the bottom. So I'm probably just going to like put a bunch of immature shit on there. But anyway, shout out to Mark Bellows joining us for uh, number 200 from across the globe here. Um, yeah. So I guess before we get it, uh, get into the card and everything and talk about the prelims and stuff like that, of course, I want to give a big thank you to everybody who has listened to even one episode, even if this is your first episode joining us. Um, I don't think I don't know about you, Jeff. I I never imagined we would be reaching people all across the globe and all across the country and and in all corners of the world and people from all walks of life. You know, we're just a couple of guys who used to like to talk shit and and have some drinks and watch the fights, and that's kind of how this whole thing got started. Where you know we would just kind of turn the commentary on mute and. And have some drinks and, and be like, oh, we could do this. We could, <laughs> we could be, we could be Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg. 
which over the course of four years, Jeff, we have proven that we definitely cannot. <laughs> but, um, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of people listen to the show. And I and I want to thank every single one of you who's even tuned in and lasted, you know, more than one episode. And if this is your first and last episode, then I thank you to you too. But a, a cheers to everybody. And um, yeah, you know, watch some fights and, and have some drinks and let us know what you guys are drinking out there. And and uh, that's it, man. We got uh, Molly McCann fight about to get started here. If you guys want to sync up with us, Talia Santos, Molly McCann, we're about to start the first round. I'll give you guys the counter. Um. Bruce Buffer just doing the introductions here, but uh, any any uh, kind of I thoughts got, on? I refresh real quick, ESPN's conking out on me. Oh, okay. Well, Jeff's gonna refresh, but I'll give you guys the count if you want to sync up with me. Round one about to start. But uh, what were you gonna ask me, Bill? Just how you feel about four years of MMA on the rocks? Oh, dude, it it's been the most consistent thing in my life, man. I don't train this often. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, I, I feel bad about saying, but I don't. I don't train jujitsu as much as I should. But um, dude, no, I this you know, it's been four years. It's been a bunch of different teaching jobs, and you know, this has always been so much fun that it's never felt like work to me. Um, also, because you don't get paid to do it, that's probably why it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> yeah, it might have something to do with it, but uh, you just get paid in booze whenever we hang out. <laughs> yeah, dude, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it started out just us giving our opinions, which we did anyway. You know, we would text during fights and, you know, give our opinions and, and who or what better and whatnot. You know, to, to think that people actually, like, tune in and want to hear us talk, like, you know, we're just your average Joes, you know. Um, so I, honestly, Bill, I never thought we'd, we'd come this far. I mean, now we have T-shirts, which are on sale. That's Anybody true. On sale at uh, Team Reaper. RipLife1.com. You can find that link in my uh, Instagram bio if you guys want to grab a T-shirt, by all means. <clears throat> if you want to sync up with us, we're at Molly McCann uh, versus Santos. Three minutes, 51 seconds, round number one. And uh, I was listening to you, Jeff, so I lost track of uh, the action here. But nice sidekick by Molly McCann. Looks like it's a, it's a nice back-and-forth one here. Um <laughs> These are these are definitely two two girls who who can scrap for sure. Yeah, dude. But my, um, Bill, what? Uh, how far into it are you? Because I just was able to pull it back up. Uh, I don't know because it looks like there was some kind of illegal thing. So we're at three minutes twenty five seconds right now. All right. I'm like three seconds ahead of you. Close enough. Both of these girls rip into the body. Nice, good stuff. Um, so Aus TR wants to know what we thought about Munir Lazez, dude. So la on last week's episode, I don't know how many of you heard, um, I predicted the, uh, Al, ha Al Hassan versus Lazez fight as the sleeper fight on the card that not enough people were talking about. Cause I thought it was going to be the fight of the night. Unfortunately, it can't be fight of the night since Al Hassan missed weight. Um, but man, that that fight was fire, man. We saw the explosion from Al Hassan early. Lazez weathered the storm, and then 
you know, just put on like a technical striking clinic. You, you pointed out those awesome level changes, Jeff, where he, he hit those takedowns just perfect every time. Um, he, you know, ducking under a big looping punch um, and, and a, and a well-deserved uh, decision victory. Uh, I, I thought he looked phenomenal. What do you think? Yeah, I thought Munir Lozez went in there with the right game plan, was able to change levels on, uh, on uh, Al-Hassan really, really well. Uh, I was impressed, man. I, I thought he would run into a couple more problems because Al-Hassan hits really hard and he comes forward the whole time. But, uh, Bill, like you said, able to weather the storm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm interested to see what's next for Lozez. And and he's from an interesting part of the world, man. He's from Tunisia, which I believe, I might be mistaken, I think is Northern Africa. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of fighters from that region. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. And, you know, good for the UFC. Uh, they, they can open up a market uh, for fans from that region as well. Yeah, yeah. Tunisia is is Northern Africa. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea, Jeff. Um, and and yeah, it's awesome to see fighters from different parts of the world that you don't normally see. Uh, we saw um, earlier on this card tonight a young grappler from Georgia. Uh, I want to make sure I get her name right. Uh, Liana Jojua, um, and, and we're seeing a lot of good great fighters come out of Georgia lately. So that's an awesome thing. Um, and, you know, they've all been asking for the UFC to make its way to Georgia. And uh, why not? You know, if it's popular over there, they can open up into a new market. Um, you know, we've got Marab Davalashvili, of course, who they just announced he's fighting uh, John Dodson pretty nice. soon coming up. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun fight. <clears throat> will definitely be fireworks but yeah man um joshua you know able to finish a nice arm bar but uh well i i use the term nice loosely i think her jujitsu and her grappling need a little bit of polish but she looks good man yeah <clears throat> yeah it definitely wasn't it definitely wasn't nice she twisted that girl's arm up <laughs> um well, i mean it was nice that she was able to finish from that but it was not technical at all <laughs> yeah uh, rough looking arm bar but uh you know i think with some polish she'll definitely be able to make a name for herself well well that's kind of her go-to and and it kind of had to be like she kind of had to attack it from some weird angles and the first round just wrapped up here because uh belbita was actually defending pretty well at first but uh i think it was a big mistake for her to take it to the ground because she was kind of tagging jojua up on the feet like landed some shots it looked like it looked like jojua had no interest in being in an mma fight you know she went out there and like she looked like she didn't even know how to hold her hands you know no no disrespect to her but i mean when when belvita came charging at her it looked like she wanted nothing to do with it and then when she had Jojua up against the cage, she took her down. It's like, what are you doing? You're the striker here, and you know she's got a good arm bar off her back. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're in the moment, I guess, and, the, you know, the takedown is there, and you take it. But, man, she bent her arm in all different kinds of ways. At one point, it looked like she tapped, but the ref didn't see it, and then she kind of shifted so that her elbow was cleared, and she was able to, like, half hitchhike her. But then she started rolling the wrong way at first, and then she was able to get a, a different angle on it, and it was just nasty, man. She bent it every which way. And uh, here we are 
round number two, Santos and McCann. Four minutes, 45 seconds, if you want to sync up with us. If you don't, that's cool, too. If you guys are just kind of listening along and having some drinks, that's, that's awesome. These girls are scrapping, Jeff. Yeah, dude, it's definitely been very back and forth. Some good sequences in the first round, too. Um, and, you know, Santos has really been working McCann's body, and I'd like to see more of that. I think that was working mm-hmm. really well for her. Yeah, they've both been going to the body a lot. Um, I don't know what they saw on tape um, in each other that, that made them decide to do that. It's interesting. Uh, Santos throws like a weird lead left hand where it's kind of like a, a jab hammer fist. It's like a rock'em sock'em robots punch. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's kind of funny to see. Uh, let's see. Our buddy Matt Temple's here. What are we drinking? Well, Matt, funny you should ask, because while we're watching these ladies bloody each other up, I want to have a special bottle for this occasion, Jeff. Um, so this is one of my favorite bourbons that's like actually really difficult to find. It's called Heaven Hill. It's uh it's aged seven years and it's bottled in bond. Um for those of you who don't know, I, I talk about this all the time on the podcast. Being There's actually a law in the books on this country about bourbon and the way um, the way it's supposed to be bottled. If you call it bonded, it has to be bottled at 100 proof. It has to be aged a minimum of four years. These are actual laws on the books in this, in this great country of the United States of America, Jeff. Um, and I was hunting for this bourbon for the longest time. And the first time I found it, I was just walking into like a total wine because uh, we were out of vodka or something like some like mixer that the wife enjoys. And there was just a bottle of it sitting like right on the front desk there, like staring at me. Um, it was like glowing with gold light around it. I think there was like a choir singing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was it was really a surreal moment. So to celebrate 200 episodes, Jeff, I'm going to I'm going to crack this bad boy here. Um, I wish we could be pouring this together, but, um, you know, you're a few few a uh, few hundred miles away. Had a nice pop to it. So uh, cheers to everybody tuning in. Let us know what you're drinking out there for sure. As Santos is all over Molly McCann right now. She looks like she's trying to set up an arm bar here. Yeah, but McCann's got kind of a half guard, so that's going to be tricky. And McCann is able to get out of it, but now she's kind of stuck in what looks like an anaconda choke. Santos is squeezing, but I don't know how good of a position this is. Yeah, I'm not really sure what she's squeezing on there. Um. Dow Wendell wants to know when Cody Stamen is fighting. He's the next fight after this, buddy. And we're in the second round of this fight. About a minute, 25 seconds left of the second round. Molly McCann and Santos. Yeah, man. So th- this is um this bourbon, this Heaven Hill, and I actually just found a another bottle of it recently at Lucan's, but I was I was waiting to crack it for a special occasion. So the 200th episode of MMA on the rocks sounds like a pretty special occasion to me, Jeff. Indeed it is. Yeah. 
So 100 proof bourbon definitely doesn't have the burn of 100 proof. It's it's really mellowed out a lot. It's got kind of that like um that kind of like toasted cereal taste that I like, like a sweet toasted cereal. Um like uh, vanilla. It's nice, man. You see it's got like a real dark color to it. Yeah, it's got a nice little caramel color going on. Yeah, that's from the extra aging. So they age it for seven years. Um, the the requirement is four years. So in order to put bottled in bond on the label, it's got to be aged at least four years. Um, but they go the extra three. And, uh, you know, maybe that's the difference. Heaven Hill, one of the oldest distilleries in the United States. Of course, they're out of Louisville, Kentucky because, you know, bourbon but um yeah man jeff i know you're on a on a bit of a dry spell with the booze lately trying to get get healthier and stuff but um you know i'm, I'm putting together quite a quite a list for like the next time you come visit nice well let's see last time i had a drink was i want to say the wedding dave dave and Lisa's wedding uh dave your brother-in-law dave um so that would be what is that seven months now no Eight uh, months. so so next time i go visit you bill we'll we'll definitely get into some fun stuff yeah once this once all this craziness kind of calms down i'm trying to make my way i'm trying to make my way up there at the end of august um at some point but um you know everything's nuts man i can't get a flight um, I had a flight booked with Southwest, but then they changed me from a direct flight to a layover in Atlanta. And I was like, I'm not doing a layover with a toddler and having to go through three different airports and wearing masks and the whole, like, it, it would just be a nightmare. Round number three, McCann and Santos, four minutes, 45 seconds. Bill, if you want to I think you should do what Frazier's dad did on the TV show is uh Frazier's dad ended up finding this um, old Russian bear clock. And when that was worth like 50 grand. So what he did with the 50 grand was he bought an RV. He became the road warrior. So Bill, I think you guys should rent an RV <laughs> and, and just camp out in it, dude. I mean, you don't have to book any hotels wherever you're parked. That's where you can, you know, cook and stuff. Here's here's the thing with that, Jeff, and it's a great idea, and I've actually looked into it very extensively because it's kind of like a bucket list um, trip for us to do, like a long road trip in an RV. Um, we want to do like way cross country, like mm. you know, go up north to Montana and then across to California and like do the whole loop, you know, back through Arizona, Texas, Louisiana, what other whatever other states are are in between there. And um, so I looked into it and I was like, you know, maybe we'll do like two weeks. Uh, and the prices for it were insane, Jeff. I was like, I could take us to Europe. <laughs> we could do two weeks. We could do two weeks in Italy for the same price it costs to rent an RV to drive to New York. Oh, man. Dude, that sucks. I mean, Dude, like I, I went to Greece when I was a freshman in college, and that trip was probably about 
I spent about a thousand bucks, but it, it would have been more, but I got a scholarship, but I spent a thousand bucks and I still got a scholarship. So it, renting an RV sounds pretty expensive. Yeah, it, it's, it's ridiculous, man. I, I looked into it and, um, our, our buddy Gregory says that he thinks Santos is going to get the W McCann's in trouble. Uh, I agree. McCann is tough though, man. She's, she's going to be tough to finish, but it's not looking good for her. Santos is looking real strong in these grappling exchanges. And Molly McCann is a good grappler, but Santos is just all over it. I, I wish she would kind of um, change her head position because McCann is almost giving her the, the head and arm choke on the ground here. But, but Santos is just kind of like trying to get the arm out of the way instead of moving her head into the armpit there. You know how I love that uh, arm triangle choke, Jeff. Oh yeah, dude. That's one of my favorites as well. That's one of my, um, bread and butter moves because I'll, I'll go for it off of uh, taking somebody's back and then when I feel them start turning and putting their back to the mat I'll snatch up that neck like that mm-hmm. and McCann is just looking like she she wants out of there she looks like she's in a nightmare right now Santos just pancaked her back to the mat yeah and McCann is she just looks tired dude she's breathing heavy I think that Santos is a lot stronger than maybe McCann was uh, or or a lot of people were expecting. Talia Santos is really impressing me right now. She's looking really good. Uh, she looks good on the feet. Her grappling is good. Yeah, McCann, young, twenty-seven years old. Uh, she came off the Contender Series. Um, I don't believe she got a contract on the Contender Series. Uh, she went to a decision on that, but you know, it, in this climate in MMA, it's like, if you're ready and available to fight, you're probably getting a phone call. You know, if you've ever appeared on anything, they're calling people from like season six of ultimate fighter <laughs> trying to get, Hey, you guys want to come fight? You want to come to Abu Dhabi fight Island? And uh, Santos has the back here. It, it, it looks like, you know, it, if I was right and McCann's looking for a way out, she, she may find it here. Dude, um, yeah, I mean, Santos is looking fantastic in there. Uh, her grappling is pretty serious. But, dude, um, to go back to what you were saying about um, fighters being called up, dude, as much as, you know, the world is is in a shaky spot right now, you know, with COVID and everything, dude, i got to say, I've been enjoying watching fighters that I don't know too much about getting in that octagon and seeing what they can do and you know now's like you said now's the time man if you're a fighter just stay ready you'll probably get a call at some point mm-hmm. yeah and we've been saying that uh every week i know there are a lot of young fighters that listen to the show and um it, you know i talk to a lot of the young fighters within the tampa bay network and and try to give them advice and um you know because i happen to have some contacts and you know press credentials at, at certain events and things like that. And I know some people and uh, the number one thing I tell them is like, you just got to be ready. You got to be in shape. Like don't let yourself blow up in between fights. Like if you win like a big local circuit fight, um, you got to stay in shape and get ready to be back in there. Cause you don't know who is watching that. You know, some scout could have been watching it. Some, some UFC guy, they've got eyes everywhere. Somebody could have shared a link on Twitter of your fight and and sean shelby saw it and 
you know, if Sean Shelby wants to find you, he'll find you and, or he'll find your manager. Um, so that's the best thing you can do as a young fighter is to just be ready at all times. Um, especially now, like if you're in shape and you're able to take a fight right now, then, you know, you're almost guaranteed to make it to the UFC if you're a professional with a decent record. Um, cause they, they need bodies to get in there right now, especially, or they need bodies to be on call because they got people testing positive. And, uh, Mark wants to know how long we've been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu and what level we are, Jeff. Um, well, I've been doing jiu-jitsu a little over, I guess February would have been eight years, a little over eight years. Um, I, I wasn't always training in a gi, so I started out in an MMA gym. Uh, I had this wacky idea that I was going to be a fighter and, uh, you know, I did a couple of smoker fights early on and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So it was all no gi jujitsu for my first year and a half that I was training. So there was no ranking or anything. And then I, uh, I moved to New Jersey where I started training at Henzo Gracie Fort Lee, which is where I happened to meet Jeff, the animal Wilson. And uh, I put on a gi for the first time after a year and a half of jujitsu and, and I don't know how many years of wrestling. And uh, it, it was like starting all over again from scratch. Like the gi was a whole different world. And then I, I just changed gyms like every time I was about to get a belt. <laughs> it just seemed to be like I left that gym right before I got my blue belt. And then I was at another gym and um, then I got my blue belt finally after like four years of jujitsu and then uh and i'm currently a purple belt but i haven't been training in the last uh so many months but yeah that that's um that's my history with with jujitsu and and i've uh, been doing muay thai about just as long uh so yeah that's it jeff yeah, so first off, uh, Santos got the win rather decisively here, so good for her. She looks great in there. But, uh, Mark, I have been training. It'll be six years in September. Yeah, six years in September. Um, I graduated college in 2014, and, you know, I, I wasn't – I couldn't find a teaching job right away, and uh, I was just getting into UFC, so, you know, I didn't have to pay for college anymore. Um, because I consolidated my loans and stuff. So they, they do according to how much you're making. So I was like, shoot, well, you know, let me try learning some self-defense. And uh, I started uh, jujitsu at a gym a couple blocks from my house, actually, for like a month. And I just didn't like it there. Um, I didn't like the way the guy was running it. He was a great teacher, but he never taught. And, um, you know, he had like this blue belt teaching us and it was weird because the blue belt would put on a black belt. Uh, I'm not going to name this gym, obviously. <laughs> hey, just, just put this on while you're teaching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I wasn't happy there and, you know, not to take anything away from the guy running it. I thought he was an awesome teacher. Uh, I just felt like he wasn't super into the teaching thing. Uh, and again, I'm not going to name this gym, but uh, then I, I I met somebody. I was working at a gas station at the time because uh, I worked there th all through college. And I met this guy, and I saw that he had a Henzo Gracie sticker on his car. So uh, I started talking to him about jujitsu, and he was like, 
Uh, it turns out that he actually was at that gym where I was, and he left for similar reasons. So he said, listen, come check out this place in Fort Lee. Um, you know, I, I, it turns out that he lives in my town, so I followed him one day. Um, I took one class at that gym, uh, you know, where I met Bill. And after one class, I was like, dude, like, this is awesome. Like, I loved, I fell in love with the gym. The people were awesome. Uh, the black belts are amazing. So I've been training there under Alan Teo. It'll be six years in September. Uh, I'm actually a blue belt. And, you know, I probably should be a purple belt. But um, I went about a year after I started jujitsu, I got my first teaching job. And I also started coaching soccer that same year. So I would get home at like nine at night. Jiu-jitsu would be wrapped up. So I basically took a year off of training. And then, uh, like, it's been sporadic when I train. Like, I'll take a couple months off to focus on school. Um, whenever, like, report cards go out, I take a couple weeks off because I got to get a bunch of grades in and, like, comments and stuff. So uh, my, my training has not been as consistent as I would like it to be. Um, but, I, th you know, this... Um, Dude, this, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, this pandemic has definitely made me um, realize how much I enjoy training because I have missed it like crazy. So mm -hmm. my gym just opened up, uh, and I, I was telling you about this, Bill. But uh, it, it's not full contact training, and I kind of want to see how things play out first because when I get in there, I want to go, you know, full throttle because um, I've been doing some workouts at home. So I'm, I'm ready to roll. But, um, yeah. yeah, so I'm a blue belt. I've been a blue belt. I didn't get it this past December. I got it the December before. And actually before everything went down with the coronavirus, I was training a lot more, uh, cause I was in between teaching jobs. I just lost my job in February. So I was training a lot more being more consistent. And then like March 15th or 17th, I think the gym closed. I was like, come on, dude. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Mark, so that's my journey. Um, I definitely intend to be a lot more um, active uh, and, you know, I'm going to definitely work harder to find that balance between work and jujitsu because at the end of the day, you know, I, this whole pandemic thing made me realize, you know, at the end of the day, I spent all that time working and I didn't even enjoy it that much. Like I could have mm. spent, so much more time training than just having fun like all the good roles or all the roles that i enjoy i remember all of them i don't remember every day at work. i don't remember most of my days at work um so yeah so hopefully that's a little bit of a life lesson um but yeah, dude, uh, so that's my journey it's been a little bit bumpier than i would have liked but you know uh, i'm young i still have plenty of time so bill i'm ready to get back in there man yeah, I'm I'm in like the opposite situation and and shout out to Alan Teo and Henzo Gracie Fort Lee. What an awesome what an awesome gym. That guy, you know, he he runs like such a great program. The gym is like spotlessly clean and I'm talking about like before any pandemic issues. So I'm positive he's got it like well sanitized now, but um, just an excellent, excellent black belt. I mean, you could go there some nights, there would be seven, eight black belts on the mat. Uh, just so much knowledge to share. And, um, they also partnered up with, uh, Jersey Muay Thai. Uh, yes. so they had some good Muay Thai instruction there as well. They had some good teachers come from over there. Um, some really well-known names in the, in the Muay Thai community, Ogden Topic. Uh, I don't know if there are any Muay Thai heads out there, but if you've ever heard that name thrown around, uh, he trains at North Jersey Muay Thai. Um, 
so yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of great training going on there. But yeah, I was in the opposite boat, Jeff. I was hitting the gym really hard, and uh, then the COVID hit, and I was like, man, this sucks. But then after like a couple of weeks, I realized like I could get out of bed in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> and like now, now I'm like almost pain free, and like I would have problems with my shoulders where I couldn't lift things straight up in the air and just yesterday i had i was driving home from the grocery store and i had bags of groceries in the passenger seat i wasn't even thinking about it i grabbed them and lifted them straight up and um my shoulders are so messed up jeff i mean you know this like because when people put me in kimuras and stuff they could bend my arm all the way back to touch yep. my opposite ear um i was able to pick the groceries straight up and i was like oh man i was like all that junk and inflammation in my shoulders must have just healed itself um and, and then i i went back for one day of jujitsu when the gym started opening up again and then it was scary because some people you know started getting positive tests and we had some fighters who had some positive tests and i trained in a bunch of gyms in the area so it's just just because of the way my schedule works and and we have a bunch of sister gyms here in the tampa bay area which is awesome because i can go train with a whole bunch of people um and get some different looks and meet some awesome people and meet some not so awesome people too um <laughs> but it's it's just too risky for me right now especially because i want to you know bring the baby up to visit my parents at the end of the month and yeah i don't want to be like rolling around with with people that that might be sick so you know you got to err on the side of caution but uh, Mark wants to know if he if we've considered going to Thailand, and yes, absolutely, that's another bucket list trip of mine. I, I definitely want to go to Thailand. My wife has been, I have not, and yes, I want to go train Muay Thai there. Um, I'm just not ready to travel internationally with the kiddo yet, because Jeff, I got to tell you this story now. So. <laughs> My daughters too, as I'm sure a lot of you who listen to this show are aware. So we've began potty training and I'll tell you this story as we're getting ready for uh, Jimmy Rivera uh, and Cody Stamen to fight here. Potty training is not fun, Jeff. Um, and I can tell you as early as 645 this morning, uh, I was having some issues. So Every morning my daughter wakes up and she's always so excited to go downstairs and wakes up at 645 pretty much every day and drags me out of bed by my hair. We go downstairs, we watch like a little Disney plus and then we go back upstairs and she wants to put on like one of her princess dresses or something while she eats her breakfast. So um, she was asking for her underwear this morning, which is, you know, unusual because she's like kind of. Like she's been resisting the potty training. She wants to be in the diaper at home, even though she'll use the potty at school. This, if people are just tuning in now, they're like, is this, is this still an MMA podcast? Yeah. We're just telling some potty training stories in between the show folks. Um, let us know where you, where you're listening from and what you're drinking out there. But, um, so she asked for her underwear <laughs> and, um, so I, I put them on her and we, she starts walking down the steps and she's like, daddy, pick me up. So I pick her up and I start carrying her down the steps. And then she's like, dad, I need a diaper. 
And I was like, no, let's just go use the potty. She's like, no, dad, I need a diaper. And then I realized there's piss all over me. <laughs> and then I, I'm like, oh, we got to go get to the potty right now. And I start going down the steps. <laughs> and it was too late. And she was just like, she looked at me and she's like, just give me a diaper, bro. <laughs> well, Bill, it's better to be pissed off than pissed on. So, no, wait, you were pissed on. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, that was my morning. That was my, that was, uh, and then I'm like, I I was getting pissed off as I, I was like, every step I'm, I'm cleaning with the, it, with the precious sanitizer that we have to, this is a hot commodity right now, Jeff, with this pandemic going on. Um, and uh, your buddy Alex Al is saying that Jeff wore a diaper up until three years ago. Yeah, Alex Al, one of the biggest fans of the show. Shout out to Alex, greeting us from New Jersey. But um, Bill. Member of uh, Hansel Gracie Ford Lee as well. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, man, Bill, I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, that sounds horrifying. Makes me glad I don't have kids. But, Bill, you texted me this at 8, 4, at like 8 something in the morning. And, you know, my first thought was the best thing about this is that your day can only get better from here. Yeah, but I'm glad, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said what you said because you're like, good. They can only get better from here. It reminded me of the Jocko Willink clip. So I wound up watching that after, and then I set it as the the wallpaper on my phone. And uh, Matt Temple seems to think that I'm going to be in some kind of trouble when I get back because I haven't been training. It's, that's No, that's not the case. I'm not going to be in any kind of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be just fine, Matt. You don't have to worry about me. But uh, But, yeah, dude, you know, very Jocko Willink mentality, which uh, actually, Bill, you put me on to, to that video of Jocko Willink where he talks about uh, good and and how whatever happens or some good that's going to come of it. But, Bill, that reminds me of a story. Um, so my... Have you got pissed on? No, I didn't get pissed on. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, dude, I had to take this drug test to, um, you know, to get my teaching license. Uh, you know, whole nine yards. So... Um, I go to the place and, you know, I, I pee in the, in the cup, I put my name on it and Bill, I could have sworn that I had closed it, could have sworn that I had the lid on it tight and the doctor grabs it from the counter really fast because I put it on the counter, grabs it really fast, Bill, and it just flies open <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, it wasn't closed <laughs> as my urine is is dousing his lab coat did it um, only get on his coat did it any get on his face or in his mouth no part of me wanted it to because it would have made for an even funnier story but uh no um but yeah dude he was very upset and i was like dude i could have sworn i twisted the cap closed but um you should have told him he needs to buy some better cups <laughs> yeah dude well i wasn't gonna play the victim i took ownership man <laughs> um, but uh yeah dude like i said it's better to be pissed off than pissed on bill and now you know what it's like to be pissed on so I, I mean i well i've known for many years what that is like but 
that's another story for another time. Um, yeah, but I bet that doctor was a lot more pissed than I was at my two-year-old this morning. I was just like cranky because it was early. It's like if your own kid pisses on you, they're like, that's not a big deal. It's like, yeah, dude, I was a complete stranger. And and then I had to pee again into this cup. I was like, oh, come on, dude. Is the same cup or he gave you a new one? No, I asked for a new one, dude. The other one was covered in piss. I wasn't going to pee. Anymore. Did they at least give you like a Gatorade or something? To... <laughs> no, nah, I just drank like six cups of water and I was ready to go, man. <sighs> All right. I hope you didn't grab a cup with a loose lid on it <laughs> while you were grabbing cups there. <laughs> But yeah, dude. At, at least she has, she shares your DNA, bro. I'm some stranger. This guy's covered in my urine. Yeah, yeah, especially your urine. Like, oh, yeah. like toddler urine is not like adult urine because there's no like toxins or anything in it yet. Oh yeah, dude. And that was like post college, so I'd been drinking a lot. So yeah, my urine would just smell like Kentucky bourbon. Just <laughs> <laughs> be like. People would wonder if I aged my urine in oak barrels. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're getting ready for round one. This bantamweight matchup, Cody Stamen, Jimmy Rivera. What a warrior Cody Stamen is, man. Fought just a week after his brother tragically passed away, and now he's back in here just a couple of weeks later with a stud like Jimmy Rivera who's got uh, cupping marks up and down his back. You're seeing a lot of fighters come in with that lately, huh? Yeah, dude. I, I, I forget what it's supposed to do, but I kind of want to try it just to see how it feel after it. Yeah, I've done it. Like, it, it feels cool. I, I don't think it does any of, like, the magical things that it claims. Like, it, it's not going to, like, improve your blood flow or anything, but it's like a it, it's just like a reverse massage. So instead of, like, downward, like, inward pressure – it's just pulling the skin up, so it's it's like that outward pressure. I guess it, it could cause a, you know, you know, it could have like a release uh, of the fascia in your muscle tissue, um, but like scientifically, there's not really anything to it. It just like it feels kind of good, and it could release like some knots you have maybe, um, but I think some people put a lot more behind it than than what it is oh dude for that we could just get massages but we got to get a massage when you come up here man like a good sports massage there's a spot in edgewater you would like i mean i've gotten massages in edgewater i don't know if that's something we need to do together yeah i mean it would be <laughs> separate rooms. like like we could just <laughs> no if we're gonna do it together it's gotta be the same room <laughs> share a table <laughs> Just have have one of those girls just cartwheel across both of our backs. Be a good time. <laughs> oh man! It looked like Jimmy Rivera slipped right there. Cody Stamen ankle picked him, put him on the mat. Yeah, dude, that was a nice ankle pick, dude. Yeah, he saw him falling backwards. He just grabbed the leg. It was good instincts by Stamen there. Yeah, Stamen is looking really focused, dude. I mean. Oh, Jimmy Rivera answers with an ankle pick of his own. Yeah, just as you said that, Jimmy Rivera knocked him with a right cross and grabbed the ankle at the same time. These guys have very similar styles, which is why it, it's a fun fight. But like I was telling you, Jeff, I definitely see this one going to the distance here. Yep, I agree with you on that one. 
Well, that just means more bourbon. Yeah, dude, but um, Rivera's got Stamen up against the cage now, and he's trying to go for a takedown, and it kind of works. But uh, Stamen able to turn the corner, and now he's working on Rivera, trying to take him down. Bill, I got to tell you, um, this is definitely going to be a marathon, not a sprint, but so far it's a very exciting marathon. Yeah, yeah, it's like a marathon where like people are getting bananas thrown at them right off the bat. Yeah, dude, I'm all for it. Yeah, I um, I ran a marathon once, and I, I got to tell you, it made me hate running, Jeff. <laughs> well, Bill, I got to tell you, I hated running before you said that. So. <laughs> before I heard about you running a marathon. Yeah, I ran the New York Marathon in 2015, and, and, like, I thought, like, I don't really need to train for this. Like, I've been doing a lot of jujitsu. <laughs> like, I was in... I was in good shape, but the most I ran before the marathon was I did 18 miles once. And um, before that, the most I did was like uh, maybe 12 miles. And I was like, I was like, man, I feel, feel pretty good. Dude, it was, it was miserable. It took me like a month to recover after this thing. I was like, and then I was going back to jujitsu and I had like, nothing in the tank for a good 30 days yeah dude but you went to jujitsu like a week after that was your mistake <laughs> i couldn't stay away yeah that's fair but that's a different type of tired man yeah yeah it, it was a cool experience though because you, you get to the marathon is you run through all five boroughs of manhattan and um Rivera almost knocked Stamen down with a lead hook there. It looked like it rattled him a lot. Um, I, I don't know how to judge this one, man. It's been back and forth this first round. We're at 15 seconds of the first round, if you want to sync up with us here. Um, you get to run through all five boroughs of of New York, which which was cool. Um, but, man, by the end, it's – and then, like, people, you have, a like, a tag with your name on it. And people are like cheering and yelling your name, and like it's, uh, this is pretty cool. And then like, you know, the first, the first like ten miles or so like fly by, and then it's like, all right, I've already listened to like my entire Spotify playlist I made for this three times, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, think I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast at one point, um, and then I was just like. All right, there's still like nine more hours of this to go. <laughs> now what am I gonna do? I had like these little jelly like Gatorade things <laughs> that you have to take that are supposed to give you energy. I was like starting to cramp up, and like I wanted to walk, but like when I started walking, my legs started cramping up. It's bad news, man. Um, awesome awesome experience like once in a lifetime experience and that's exactly what it will stay once in a lifetime like even now the wife is like hey would it be cool if we did like a 5k which is like three miles i'm like no but no. 5k's are doable man like 26 miles that dude the sound of that makes me want to take a nap yeah dude it's born to drive 26 miles <laughs> if you have like if you have like, if you're throwing like a big party 
and they're like, oh, this year is going to be the best party. And you're like showing the UFC pay-per-view and you've got like booze everywhere. I'm like, oh, cool. Where's the party? Oh, it's just 26 miles from your house. I'll be like, no, nah, I'm staying home. <laughs> and I get to drive there. Oh, man. Yeah, dude. And like driving 26 miles takes like 30, 40 minutes. So I can't imagine how long it took you to finish that marathon. It would have taken me three days. It was um to walk the whole thing. I finished it in five and a half hours. Um, but it felt like it was a long five and a half hours, Jeff. The the last stretch was the worst, man. I think I think it ends like right by right by Central Park Zoo. And then the worst part of it is you get across the finish line. And like they put this medal on you, and people are cheering, and then they put like this tin foil jacket on you because it's supposed to help regulate your body temperature. Oh, like a space blanket or something? Yeah, something like that. And then you just like walk into the darkness by yourself, and like, <laughs> and then it's like, how am I gonna get home? <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> a pretty lonely feeling. Um, luckily, my wife uh, did it with me, and and she finished like a little bit behind me. So after I waited for her, we took a we took an Uber to this bar that we liked to go to by Penn Station. I forget the name of it, but it was also a brewery, I think, because we used to take the Gypsy buses back to Jersey. Those three dollar Gypsy buses. Oh, dude, those things are awesome. They're a lifesaver. Oh, yeah, man. I, I used to love that because our apartment in Weehawken, we were like a block away from like, so I lived like right on top of the Lincoln Tunnel. Yep. So we were like a block away from the last pickup point. So you would go there. They would come by like every 10 minutes. It was three bucks and it drops you like right in Times Square. Oh yeah, dude. MJ Transit does that, but it's like $27 to get to New York. Yeah, it's crazy. Or if you want an Uber, it's like $79.85. Yeah. Oh man. It's like, dude, it will take you nine minutes. <laughs> and you'll probably pick up another fare over there that's coming back this way. Um, but yeah, man, those gypsy buses were were a lifesaver back at my time living in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, dude. Every time I've – well, the one time that I went to that UFC in uh, at Madison Square Garden, they line up like two blocks away from there. So I took the train to 34th Street, the mm -hmm. uh, the NJ path, took it to 34th Street, which is right behind Madison Square Garden, met up with my buddies there, and then took a, a Jimmy bus back. So good times, Bill. Good. Yeah, and it's funny because it, like they would line up at different places – I think because I'm pretty sure they're illegal. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and like, but uh, you know, who cares, right? They would run. They would run 24 hours a day, like consistent. Like sometimes at like two or three in the morning, like you'd have to wait for the bus to fill up, like, and it wouldn't move until it was full. So like sometimes you'd have to wait for like 20 minutes, but still, still three bucks. Yep. Dude, I remember we took one back, though. The last night you guys were here before uh, before you left for Florida, it was like 3 in the morning because we had just gone to Jimmy's Corner or something. Mm -hmm. 
then uh and then we just took a jimmy back and it dropped you off real quick and then it was on my way home so yeah those things were awesome that was a good night too we went to Connolly's in new york that's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite bars ever yeah yeah it was nice your whole family was there they're on like 46th i think i think i had a lot of good nights there um i i don't miss new york city i gotta say like it's kind of cool to go back but like now i'm like old and i got a kid and i'm like the thought of going into manhattan is like so so unpleasant to me <laughs> yeah bro, like, i would want to go and like have a slice of pizza and a beer and then just leave. I don't want to stay out all night anymore. Even that slice of pizza and a beer, you're talking like $37. Oh, yeah, dude. But, um, I don't know who's winning this fight, Jeff. Um, I got to say, I'm not that into it. Yeah, the first round was great, but the second round, it just slowed down. I, I don't it, looked like, it looked like Rivera was pressuring a little more to me. I don't know if you guys out there are actually watching it. Um, let us know. Sorry if you came for like in depth, <laughs> in depth fight commentary. I guess it's just not the night, maybe because it's like midweek. But I don't know, Jeff. Just and it's and it's the 200th episode. This shouldn't be about the UFC. This is about us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, well, I remember your sister was. Um, she brought this friend. And Bill, at first, I was talking to to her friend, and the dude seemed cool. But um, I I don't know what his name was, Bill. But at the end of the night, you know, we're talking about soccer, so I'm like, oh man, this dude's cool. And then uh, Bill, you know, I'm a Chelsea fan, and this guy was a fucking Arsenal fan, Bill. And for those of you soccer heads out there, you know that Chelsea and Arsenal, they're like oil and vinegar, man. They don't mix. I hate Arsenal, and Bill, I regretted talking to that guy. So. <laughs> yeah that was uh that was my sister's ex-boyfriend oh well i'm glad he's an ex-boyfriend i'm glad yeah. i am too um i'm a i mean i mean don't get me wrong he was a nice kid he just didn't bring anything to the table no nah, he was a fucking asshole dude <laughs> just because of the soccer team he rooted for yes yes that's all i need bill that's all i need to know about him I just saw a tweet pop up that said 2018 Rivera, and I don't know who said it, but I'm going to agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only agree with it because I can't argue with it. So. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. <laughs> Bill, this third round is looking a lot like that second round. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sure – if I were paying closer attention, there's a lot of intricacies going on here. Stamen had Rivera up against the cage, and Rivera had a nice reversal. They're, they've got like a real body lock battle going on here, which is so exhausting. When you're working for those underhooks and, and trying to dig in there and and, and trying to, to move another person your size um, in a direction that they don't want to be moved to, um, that's that's really exhausting. You could see like Cody Stamen is like kind of getting frustrated here. Like he's trying to get his arms free and now he finally did. <clears throat> it looks like Rivera is the fresher of the two. Like Stamen's starting to lower his hands a little bit. And just as I said that he started bouncing around. 
Yeah, but somebody's got to take control of the fight in this round, dude. Yeah. I couldn't tell you who's winning. Mark who's winning, but the cupping work is on point. I got to say, it looks very symmetrical. Yep. I mean, I don't know that it that it does anything, but I mean, it looks cool, I guess. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to pour myself another drink here, Jeff. Don't mind if I do. Yeah, go for it, man. I mean, I'm drinking I water because I, I worked out a little bit before we came on the air. I, I showered too, so don't worry about it. I don't smell bad. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't smell bad for this show that's on the internet. Nobody would know. I saw this commercial for Degree Deodorant that came on while I was watching the prelims, Jeff, and it it was like, um, seventy two hours of protection. I don't believe that, man. Not the way I sweat. Well, well <laughs> fair point. But also, like, who needs that? Like, one, if you're going 72 hours without showering, that's awful. And I know, like, maybe people during quarantine are like, oh, yeah, I need that. But, like, at least, like, if you didn't shower the day before, like, you're at least putting new deodorant on the next day, right? Oh, absolutely. I certainly hope so. Like, why do they think at degree that this was good marketing? Like, well, Jimmy Rivera's got a standing guillotine here, but he made the the mistake where he started lowering his his center of gravity. Yeah, it was looking pretty tight up until that point, and Steaming able to pick up a leg here. He started leaning backwards with it, and that's what you don't want to do with that standing guillotine. Um, you actually want to try and try and stand up taller and put more pressure uh, with the tricep on the back of the head there. There's some interesting grappling exchanges here, man. Th these guys seem like very evenly matched um, in the grappling department. And Rivera maybe has just a little bit more pop with the striking, and he's bloodied statement up a little bit. That's the only difference I see. Yeah, I think Rivera's cardio is holding out a lot better as well. It's looking that way. Like Stamen will look like one minute, like he can't even hold his hands up, and then the next minute he's like bouncing around like it's the first round. Yeah, that might be to convince the judges, man, but I don't think it's gonna work in this scenario. It's so hard when you're tired to just like just hold those hands up. And it's like you gotta do it. Like every striking coach you'll ever meet will be like, You have to have your hands up at all times. And they'll tell you over and over. Yeah, dude, and, and Stamen looks like he took a lot more shots at the end of the round than Jimmy Rivera. If I had to guess, I'd say probably Jimmy Rivera got this one. Yeah, it looks like it, especially since Cody Stamen's, like, keeling over in pain. Um, I had this striking coach, Jeff, um, who was just – he's just a madman, uh, K1 world champion. And um, he used to have us do this drill for keeping our hands up where I would have to have a medicine ball and I would hold it out like this with my hands up for the um, people that are just listening to the audio version of this. Um, if you're, you have to extend your arms all the way and you're holding the medicine ball for a one minute round and your partner is punching it. And it is so hard, first of all, just to hold the ball out 
it would be like a 15 pound medicine ball, I guess. It'd be so hard just to hold it out with your arms extended for the whole minute. But then somebody's punching it. And if you have a partner who's like a dick, they're hitting it like hard and trying to knock it out of your hands. And if you drop the ball, you got to do 10 push-ups. So for the whole minute, like you're trying not to drop this ball. And then if, if he saw, if the instructor saw that your partner was going light, then he would come over and hit it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and when he's hitting it, this dude is such an animal. You're better off just dropping it and doing the push-ups. <laughs> he's going to put so much strength. This is probably why my shoulders were fucked up, Jeff. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's not, it's just one of those mental toughness things, but uh, it's one of the things you think about when you have to have your hands up. And now they're, uh, Bruce Buffer's making the announcement here. Jimmy Rivera looks pretty confident. Yeah. And yeah, you got it. Yeah. Stamen was breathing heavy, man. You know, just Rivera just looked less tired. So, you know, the output was, was greater from his end. Yeah. Unanimous decision. So, yeah, that's the right call. Um, good for Jimmy Rivera back in the win column. Um, Mark wants to know how the Harvest Hill is Heaven Hill, actually. Mark, um, this is excellent. I don't know if it's available worldwide or not. This is a little bit, a little bit smaller scale than uh, Buffalo Trace and Blanton's. Oh, Louis Gaudineau in the corner. Jimmy Rivera there. That's a throwback from Ultimate Fighter, like season three or something. Yeah, dude. He was a 125er, but now he's looking like a 175er, dude. He, he put on some pounds. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, Mark says that the Blanton's punch is hard, but his stomach is stronger than Lazaz's chin. That's great. Um yeah, this stuff's a hundred proof, but it's it's super smooth. Um, it, it's one of my top five favorite bourbons. So it's up there with uh, Blanton's, E.H. Taylor, Buffalo Trace, Old Forester, nineteen ten, and what else would I put up there? My my list changes all the time. Was that five? Heaven Hill, Blanton's, E.H. Taylor, Old Forester, nineteen ten, and Buffalo Trace. Yeah. That's my top five right now, I gotta say. Um, so Jimmy Rivera is giving his uh post fight speech. I don't know where, what's next for him, man. This uh this division's kind of crazy because you just had you just had the championship fight between like two guys that weren't even in the top contenders. Like one guy just came off a loss and the other guy his biggest win was against Jimmy Rivera. Um, I'm sure Jimmy Rivera right now, without even listening to the interview, is asking for that rematch with Peter Jan and and saying, like, you know, I know I beat him and I had an off night and, you know, probably saying all the right things like that he should be saying, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I just don't see that. I don't see him getting that rematch. But what, what do you think's next for uh, – for Jimmy Rivera or for Cody Stamen for that matter, Jeff. I don't know what you do with either of these guys, man. It's getting, you know, there's some bottlenecking at the top. Um, hmm. Dude, if I were Jimmy Rivera, I think I'd ask for probably Cody Gardner just because 
you know, Cody Garbrandt broke his, his losing streak. So I don't know how far into the title picture his name is. So I think that's who I'll be talking about right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, Garbrandt had a couple of losses in a row, just like Jimmy Rivera. So Rivera had that, that head kick lost to Marlon Marice, and then he beat John Dodson, but he was never really the same after that Marlon Marice fight. Um, and then he had the back-to-back losses to Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Um, so maybe he was asking for the Aljo rematch. Um, yeah, you could do, you could do Jimmy Rivera and, and Cody Garbrandt. I think that's that's a good fight unless you're trying to build both of those guys back up. I mean, maybe you do uh, Jimmy Rivera versus Jose Aldo. That's another one. Whatever happened to Thomas Almeida? That guy was that guy was supposed to be like uh he was supposed to be like the big thing in the bantamweight division when he first came around. And yeah, uh, Cody Garbrandt knocked him into twenty thirty, dude. Yeah, but you would you would think like he was a young guy, he was only like twenty two. You would think um you think he would come back. Um that kid that kid was a stud when he first came into the UFC. Um uh, let's see. I think he might have lost one or two fights after Cody Garbrandt. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. So he had the knockout loss to Cody Garbrandt in 2016. Um, And then he had a knockout win against Albert Morales. Um, And then back-to-back losses to Jimmy Rivera and Rob Font. Uh, He fought Rob Font in January 2018. So that's two and a half years. I guess he's retired. Or he or he got cut and and just didn't want to fight anywhere but the UFC. I'm looking at I'm, now. I'm looking at different stats and stuff, Jeff. And Jimmy Rivera's nickname is El Terror. Oh, that means terror in Spanish, Bill. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I don't know what I would do without you and your Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that was his nickname. Yeah, I always thought his nickname was Cisco. Cisco? Yeah, but I might be thinking of somebody else. Is it El Terror? Yeah, I might have been thinking of Francisco Rivera. Is that is that somebody? Is that a fighter? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking of. But then Cisco would just be his name. It's Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm tired, man. Been watching Marvel movies in order all week. Well, at least we got in the uh what is there like 39 of those movies? Yeah, dude. They've been in they, they were done in three phases and now they're into phase four. So I started with the first Iron Man movie and just went in order from there. So wait, they were done in three phases and you're in phase four? Well, I, I'm saying um, the company itself right now is entering stage four. Like hmm. phase three ended with um, Thanos and all that. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you're talking about. <clears throat> Bill, he's Thanos. He's obsessed with death. So he wants to kill half the universe to impress death. Because Bill, in, in comics, it's not enough to just have concepts. These concepts have to have physical manifestations as well. So... Thanos is in love with death. And those physical manifestations have to be killed? Yeah. Didn't, like, a bunch of the superheroes die in the last movie? 
Yeah, but they only did that so that they wouldn't have to, so that the actors wouldn't be on screen for so long. Because, like, they had conflicting schedules and stuff. At least that's my theory. So they're like, they're like, oh, I can't show up to work for a couple of weeks. And they're like, no problem. We'll just kind of kill you. Yep. All right. All right. At least that's why they did it in the comics. Because then they'd have a smaller pool of characters to work with. Yeah. Um, I I like stuff like that. I like stories about like wacky movie decisions. I'm like I'm sure it didn't happen that way. But like one of my favorite ones is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And um, the way it was written in the script is that Indiana Jones was supposed to have this epic fight scene with uh with this dude who who pops out of the crowd. And he has this crate, one of those crazy curved, like Arabic swords, and he starts spinning oh. the sword around. Gotcha. So Indiana Jones was supposed to fight him with his whip, and it was supposed to be like the whip versus the sword, and they had this whole choreographed fight scene. But supposedly Harrison Ford showed up on set that day, and he had like a bad fever. Like he had the flu or something. They were filming in the desert. He's like, man, he told Steven Spielberg, he's like, man, I really feel like shit. I don't think, I don't think I could like film today. I don't think I could do that fight scene. And Spielberg was like, well, what if you just take out your gun and shoot him? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that's, nice. that's the scene in the movie, standing there with the whip, and this guy pops out of the crowd and he's like doing all this crazy shit with the sword. <laughs> and then Harrison Ford takes out his gun, shoots the guy dead, and just turns and walks away. Nice, yeah, dude. It, for the first movie, the Infinity War one, and I, I think to some extent, um, Endgame as well for the Avengers, dude, because th that cast is awesome. Like, you have Chris Pratt, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans. So they couldn't get everybody on set at the same time. So they just filmed, like, certain parts whenever they had those actors. And luckily it worked out. I mean, two really good movies. I mean, as a, as a comic book nerd, I, I have enjoyed basically every Marvel movie. Except the first Thor movie. That movie was not that great. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I won't watch that one. Or probably any of the other ones. But... Uh, Matt wants to know, does anyone know why they put a cage on the beach? Uh, I think it was just for for photo ops, the whole Fight Island thing. Like, they got some cool photos of it. And then I think they filmed some B-roll in that cage of, like, fighters warming up and stuff. But I don't think they actually, like, very few fighters could train outside because it was just so ridiculously hot. That makes sense. And, like, I think, like, 70 or 80% humidity but um, just um, uh, yeah, just a photo op basically is why they put that out there. It made some for some cool promo pictures. And Mark had a theory that a lot of Brazilians quietly slid away after USADA entered the picture. Um, it's you know not not a bad theory. Uh, that that would kind of line up with Thomas Almeida, like we were talking about. Yeah, dude. I mean, look at what happened to uh, what's his face. Um... And in Barrao, dude, after USADA and uh, the no uh, the no use of IVs to rehydrate, man, he went down the drain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of fighters complained about the IVs, but I think that was more like a mental thing because they came out later with some studies and it said like um, 
because the big complaint was that, oh, it, it rehydrates the brain faster. But then some studies came out after it was banned that said, like, it's actually not true. Because um, I guess some guys were getting knocked out at first when they didn't have the IVs to rehydrate. But it turned out it was just like a psychological thing. It, did, it doesn't actually rehydrate the brain. Um, the, the only thing that can rehydrate your brain is time which is why like cutting a lot of weight is so dangerous, man. I wish they would figure out a way just like move everybody up a weight class. You know what they need to do is test your, test your hydration levels. And like, you need to be at a certain level of hydration to fight at a certain weight class. Um, you know, do it like that or, or like, you know, test your, test guys body fats like halfway through the camp or something and if they're not at like a safe weight like you don't let them fight um we are starting to see like more guys that like are fighting closer to their natural uh body weight and having a lot of success you know guys like colby covington um you know anthony pettis but he did it a little bit later in his career and he wasn't seeing as much success um, Robert Whitaker, you know, is one of the better examples because he moved up to 185 and became champion. Um, I, I'm a big advocate of guys fighting, you know, close to their close to their natural weight. Like I've never, I've never really understood weight cutting. Like uh, as much as I've competed, I I never cut that much weight. Uh, like even in high school, I wrestled at 138 and which is a weight that I'll never see again, even if I cut off both of my legs. Um, but I would only walk around at like 140, 141, something like that. Um, so I just like, <laughs> and, and, you know, when you're in, when you're in high school, the weight comes off <laughs> a lot, a lot easier than it does. Like in your thirties and stuff. I don't understand these guys like in their late thirties and they move down a weight class, like a Frankie Edgar, like those, the, that, those guys are freaks to me. And Frankie Edgar is another example. Like the only division he was a champion in was 155 pounds, which is like what he walks around at. Yeah. Dude. Um, Bill, what do you think about this venom deal? Because uh, I don't know how many fans know this, but Reebok, the contract with Reebok is up soon, and the new maker of the UFC fight kits is going to be Venom, which is more of a, I guess if you train jiu-jitsu, I think you would know it. That's how I know it, um, because of their rash guards and, and fight shorts and stuff. But what do you think, Bill? Um, I had mixed feelings about it. Like, it makes more sense than Reebok. Um because and, it, and i'm trying to look up the the exact numbers here it makes more sense than reebok because venom actually makes uh like mma gear and yeah. and like pretty high quality stuff like they make good gloves and and shin guards and uh headgear and things like that here's my concern and i don't have any information to back this up but the fighters were not getting paid well by reebok um, you know, this is well known and, and especially because they weren't allowed to have any additional sponsors on their clothing. Luckily, a lot of guys have figured out loopholes. Like they have sponsors on their Instagram and stuff like that. And they build up their social media. Um, so the complaint was that they weren't getting paid well from Reebok. Reebok wouldn't pay out that much. 
if you look at Reebok as a global company and you look at Venom as a global company, I mean, just do the math, Jeff. Like, which one do you think has more money to throw around? I would assume Reebok probably has more money. Yeah, I would assume Reebok probably values as a global company somewhere in the billions. Um, Venom as a company, 10 to 20 million. And I'm just like spitballing here. Like as far as like what the companies are worth, like if you wanted to go and buy Reebok right now, it would probably cost you uh, over a billion dollars. We're, we're at uh, Tim Elliott, Ryan Benoit here. Four minutes, 28 seconds, round number one, if anybody wants to sync up. But so that's my concern, Jeff, unless unless there's and I haven't read the deal. Uh, and you know how I love the business end of things, but maybe the deal allows like Venom will make the fight kits. But, you know, the fighters are allowed two or three spots on the fight kit for an additional sponsor. And in that, that case, that would be an awesome thing for the fighters because then they can make their own deals. Everybody's wearing the same uniform, but like if you want to get like a little patch on it for, you know, Monster Energy or Budweiser or Condom Depot or whatever you have. <laughs> Remember Condom Depot used to sponsor the UFC? Oh, yeah. Do um, they still exist? <laughs> I have never wondered about that. To this day, I've seen, I've seen hundreds of fights where Condom Depot is on the cage and on the back of uh, fighters' shorts, and I've never looked them up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's just because they don't use condoms, but... Dude, um, what was I going to say? I love the idea, <clears throat> excuse me, that you brought up of Venom, you know, making the fight kits and then fighters having a couple of spots to play around with. I think that's pretty genius. I think everybody wins with that. And I think Venom has the option to not pay fighters as much because the the sponsors will take care of that. So, yeah, and they can outfit the fighters with gear and stuff. Um, you know, the gear for training and everything could be expensive. Like, obviously, when they show up, when they show up for fight night, like they get their gloves and they get their fight kits and everything, and they're your coaches all get the fight kits, but everything they got to train in, they got to pay for themselves. So maybe, it, you know, Venom hooks them up with like free training gear, like, Hey, wear this and, and put it on your Instagram and, and whatever else. And that's the other thing they should have because like not a lot of fighters would endorse the Reebok stuff. Like you wouldn't see guys like wearing their fight kits on their social media or anything. Um, but maybe Venom, like if it's like, hey, if you have so many followers or or like maybe they give the fighters like promo codes for for MMA gear, like, hey, put in promo code Cowboy 20 and get 20 percent off. And then Cowboy gets like a commission off of, you know, whatever is bought on that promo code. There's a lot of different ways that the Venom deal could potentially be better for the fighters than the Reebok deal is. I just don't know if it was done that way. That's the way I would do it. Um, you know, I would set up a commission-based thing for all the fighters. Like, hey, if you're selling Venom gear to your fans on social media and you want to push it out there, we'll give you a commission off that. And then we'll give you spots on your fight kit 
you know, we're going to pay you out less than Reebok did, but we'll give you spots on your fight kit where you can put whatever, whatever sponsor you want, as long as they're not a competitor. Like you can't put like a Hayabusa, you can't put like a, like a rev gear. Yeah. Um, and, and whatever other ones ever last, like, as long as it's not like a direct competitor, but if you want to put like, you know, you want to put like your local tire store or whatever that wants to sponsor you for like a low level fighter or your local strip club that wants to put a logo on your shorts. Like, you know, we'll print that up for you. That's the way I would do it. Um, because I think it makes sense to have the fight kits where you have all matching uniforms because it makes it look more professional, but you got to have ways for these guys to kind of supplement their income, you know? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent. I think that's a very good idea. We got to pitch that to the UFC, man. Dude, if they're not listening to me already, then like they need to be paying me for these ideas, Jeff. That's it. Make me like an advisor or something. We got a, a pretty good first round here between uh, Elliot and Benoit while we've been talking business. Uh, first round just ended. Tim Elliott finished on top. I think they're probably still in the round. It's a very Tim Elliott type fight. A lot of scrambles. Um, which got Tim Elliott into some trouble in his last fight, but it, it looked like he stole that first round there, Jeff. Did you, did you, uh, did you catch enough of it to have an opinion? Yeah, yeah, especially the ending of that round with Tim Elliott on top, dropping hammer fist. I think he may have clinched that round. Yeah, and and he needs it. Like Tim Elliott's in a co-main event here, which which speaks to the fact that the UFC is is still a fan of him. He has lost four of his last five fights. Um. Not a. And, and in three of them, he was submitted. It's not a very good statistic to have. No, it's not. His last fight, submitted in the second round by Brandon Royval. Uh, before that, he lost a close decision to Askar Askarov. Before that, he was submitted by Davison Figueredo, who allegedly is fighting for the flyweight championship on Saturday. Uh, then he had a win over Mark De La Rosa, and then a... Uh, a loss to Ben Wynn, which was also a submission. So, yeah, man, not a great track record for uh, Tim Elliott here. But, you know, when I think of Tim Elliott, I don't think of that kind of record. I just because he's an, such an exciting fighter, which probably explains why, you know, they, they put him in another co main event here. He's probably one of the bigger names on this card. Yeah, dude, I'm, listen, I'm just glad Tim Elliott got rid of that mohawk, man. It was not doing him any favors. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, not, not mohawk. Um, what's it called? Uh, yeah, Matt has a point here that Venom could be good, but what if Onyx wants to sponsor a fighter, then what? Um, I don't think that's a great point because they – from what I see, they're they're engineering some awesome products, but I don't think they're at the point revenue-wise where they would be able to sponsor fighters um, because they're still a pretty new company. Like they've still they're still in prototypes with a lot of their stuff, so I don't know if they're making the kind of money where they could be sponsoring UFC fighters. But yeah, it's an interesting problem that comes up because if you have like so Onyx is the the gear company that was started by the 
the MMA coach, Trevor Whitman, who actually also works for the UFC, um, you know, doing the coach's corner commentary or whatever they call it, where he listens to the, the corner and gives kind of his interpretation of it. And he's also a coach. So he makes this MMA gear that he started like sewing in his basement um, because apparently he's like a seamstress or something. He's got some kind of sewing skills and he made like these revolutionary headgear and, and gloves and all this stuff. And he, he engineered it specifically for MMA because a lot of the stuff that's out there was made for boxing and it's not really suitable for MMA because it gets in the way of the grappling and everything like that. So what do you what happens when you have guys like Justin Gaethje, who he's a UFC fighter, he's sponsored by Venom, but then everywhere he goes, he's talking about Onyx, which would be considered a competitor. And uh, Tim Elliott just just grabbed a, a guillotine as his fight went to the ground here. It looks like he's got it really tight here, Jeff. He's cupping the chin. Now he connected his hands. Yeah, and he's on top too. So there's nothing stopping his his back if he arches back but man that would have been a nice finish if he had gotten that guillotine <clears throat> so uh, matt said that onyx has a stable of fighters yeah but those are all fighters that are that are pretty much under trevor whitman right now so i don't know that i don't know if they're getting paid and if if they are i don't know if they're getting paid that much or if they're just getting like product like prototype product right now and, and uh being asked to talk about it i don't know i mean i'd have to look a little more into their business model but from what i've seen they have like very limited products that are like super expensive so unless it's like gyms like like gyms with a with a high income that are that are buying up their products i don't know because the MMA fighters, for the most part, are all broke. Ooh. Oh, I just grabbed that knee bar here that is, like, really tight. Yeah, I think he might have it. Oh, he looks like he lost it, though. But he, he was screaming out in pain. <laughs> Dude, I, I have it muted, but if he did scream out, that should have been a tap. Well, I, I have it muted also, but from the look on his face, it looked like he screamed out in pain. Yeah. Dude, but that, that should be a tap in MMA. We've got a we've got quite a leg entanglement here. Uh, from what I can see from this position, Benoit is the safer fighter right now, and Tim Elliott is doing the right thing. He's putting all his weight on the lead foot, and he was able to spin out of it. But yeah, that that was uh, it looked like he was really close with that knee bar. Was oh, Benoit. Tim Elliott's really bloodied up. Yeah, dude, Benoit definitely put in a little bit more work this round. Well, compared to the first round. Yeah, yeah, he he's definitely like, like I didn't I didn't notice much of what he did in the first round, but he's definitely turning it on here. He's landing some big shots on Elliott now too, and he already has him bloodied up. And here they're in like another. Tim Elliott kind of rolled for like. A weird kind of ankle lock there. I don't know what he was really trying to do there. There wasn't really anything that he had. I don't know why he dove for that leg. Yeah, so Bill, uh, Mark Fellows tells us that, one, the name of his bad haircut was mullet, which for some reason I couldn't remember. So I'm glad that Tim Elliott shaved his mullet. But, dude, um, Mark Fellows says that he screamed louder than when he sees his wife's credit card bill. So, Mark, <laughs> to me, that should be a tap. 
that is a verbal tap. Yeah, because that's that actually happened to um to Craig Jones this past weekend. I don't know if you saw this, Jeff, Submission Underground. Uh, but it was like the damn, I can't even remember if, if one of you guys could tell me who whoever Craig Jones is grappling this weekend. Um, they they went into like the overtime and the guy got a body triangle on Craig and put put him in like a neck crank and like twisted his body in such a way that he let out this noise and the referee stopped the fight. And he was like, if it was a choke, I would have let it keep going. But because it was like such a nasty neck crank and he made like such a noise, he's like, because a guy, at the level of Craig Jones, like he trusts him to, to tap or like to verbally submit. Um, but he said because of the noise he made and because of the type of submission that it was a, a, a neck crank. And I feel like you got to do the same thing with a knee bar. Like if, if he really did scream out there and he's in that tight knee bar and I'm the referee, I'm stopping it. Oh, yeah, dude. And um, Bill, you're, you're thinking of Mason Fowler. Mason Fowler, yes, that's it. Um, who actually technically defeated Craig Jones in the Abu Dhabi trials the year that Craig Jones won Abu Dhabi. Uh, he beat him in the trials, but he was like gypped on a couple of points. Mm. Uh, so he didn't win. And then Craig Jones went on to Abu Dhabi and wound up winning it. Um, but even later, like Fowler had said like, Hey, I, I want to rematch with Craig Jones because I was gypped on some points. And, uh, and Craig Jones was like, yeah, he's actually telling the truth. Like he, he was supposed to get two points and they never gave it to him. Um, so I guess he got his redemption and I guess they're gonna have to run that one back. Um, I only saw highlights. I didn't get to watch the match, but yeah. So Fowler technically submitted him in overtime and Craig Jones was going to win because he had like an absurd amount of ride time mm. in that overtime. So they do it by like, you start on the back and who, whoever they go back and forth. And if you don't get a submission, they go by whoever had back control for the longest amount of time. And Craig Jones was like way ahead. Um, but Fowler put him in that, that nasty neck crank and he just let out a sound and the referee had to stop it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I would have done in that second round. Like it should have been stopped with that knee bar. If he screamed out in pain, that's a tap. Um, so technically Benoit should have won this fight and it made me think about who's refing this fight. Yeah. I actually just thought about, that right when you said it, it looks like mark goddard yeah of course it's fucking mark goddard mark no grappling goddard <laughs> this guy is the worst i get i mean leon edwards is making a run for it uh i mean uh roberts oh. leon roberts um you know letting these guys take beatings in there but Man, Mark Goddard is just the worst, man. And I hate to beat up on these refs because they, they have such a shit job. Like, because, like, the all the best ones, you, you don't know their names because they're not making mistakes. Yeah. And it, if you fuck up, like, everything is your fault. But, yeah. Cheers to everybody who doesn't like Mark Goddard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude. I think any other ref stops that fight when uh, when Tim Elliott screams, dude. Because that's you know that especially how tight that knee bar was, man. And he slapped it on quick, dude. That'll tear up your ligaments and stuff. It was nasty, but like you know, 
Tim Elliott's like dancing around in there right now. Like he looks totally fine. Yeah, speaking of dancing around, Bill, um, what, what what fight was that? Um, I forgot what fight it was, but uh, you mentioned through text before we started this one fight where uh, somebody was throwing this weird fence kick thing. Oh, I'll tell you right now. But uh, I'll just tell you right now that that move is actually a soccer kick called Rabona, which is you basically take – you basically get your kicking leg around the back of your standing leg to kick the ball. And it looks cool when soccer players do it. Um, they use it to, to pass the ball in like a really cool way. And it looks awesome. Why someone thought that this Rabona would be good for a mixed martial arts fight, I have no idea. It was uh, Hikaru Hamos and uh, Lerone Murphy. Yeah, well, Murphy won that fight decisively. So... Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that. While these uh, these flyweights are really scrapping it out for the last forty two seconds of this fight here. So, Lerone Murphy, man, he really impressed me. They were talking about what a great boxer he was, but he showed some wrestling. He showed, um, you know, he was able to escape uh, top control from yep. uh, from a high level Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt. And then it, after being on the ground with him and feeling his ground pressure, took him down again and knocked him out once with an elbow. It, he, it looked like he knocked him out with the elbow and then he hit his head on the mat and it woke him up. <laughs> it was crazy. And then he was in it and then Murphy just kept coming with the ground and pound. And uh, he, he looked really good, Jeff, um, against a, a really high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt there in uh in Hamos who who trains at uh, team alpha male yeah i saw your high favor in his corner um yeah dude i was really impressed as well um you know he mixed it up really well as, as for uh Hamos, i don't know I, I don't know what strategy he went in there with but um he and get it done that those kicks were doing absolutely nothing for him mark thinks that uh you were right about the soccer move and that dude was watching zinedine zidane highlights yeah bill zinedine zidane uh he was one of my favorite soccer players growing up man growing up he was a monster dude he could hit the ball with both feet uh, won, I, I'm pretty sure he won the Champions League with Real Madrid. Currently coaches Real Madrid, has won three European titles as a coach. But, Bill, he is most known for his headbutt in the 2006 World Cup final between France and Italy. Isn't the whole idea to hit your, hit the ball with both feet? Yeah, but um, a lot of players, they have a preferred foot. Uh, so for me, I'm more of a righty, but Z Zinedine Zidane could hit it with both feet, man. Um, and dude, he's got a he's a highlight reel, um, a very very respected player. I think a lot of play a lot of guys my age uh, looked up to him growing up. So uh, yeah, Zidane's pretty famous. But who did he play for? He played for a couple of teams. He played for Juventus in Italy. He played for Real Madrid in Spain, and his national team was France, although his mother was Algerian, so he could have played for Algeria. But France, they get a whole bunch of players from different colonies. So nobody on the French team was actually born in France. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of that that kind of goes on with that, right? Like they, there's like loopholes where they could play for different teams. So he played with France for the Olympics then? Uh, he played in a couple World Cups for France. Uh, but yeah, um, unfortunately, one of the things he's known for is in the 2006 World Cup final, he headbutted an Italy player and got red carded. He should have gotten rewarded. Yeah, dude, it was, I mean, it was a good game, but, um, dude, uh, I, I think that if he hadn't gotten red carded, the French probably would have won that game because it went to a penalty shootout. And the guy who went in to take the penalty that Zidane would have taken missed. His name was David Trezeguet. Nobody ever heard from him again after that. But, um, yeah, I, Mark Fellows, yes, I do remember that, uh, I forgot who that was against when uh, Zidane did that, but uh, he got this cross bill from, I think it was the left side, and Zidane hit it with his left foot um, into the goal and got Real Madrid to the final that year. I think that might have been against Juventus, actually. But uh, Zidane has been a phenomenal player, um, won the World Cup in, I want to say, 98. Don't quote me on that. But... Um, yeah, as a coach, he's been fantastic too. Man. Or what? What team did he win the World Cup? Uh, he won it for France, but his mother was Algerian, so he could have played for Algeria. Uh, okay, didn't Italy win in '98? Um, dude, uh, I anyway, uh, Tim Elliott won the decision. Uh, he looks very excited about it. Pinoy looks very frustrated. That was a fun fight, man. I feel like uh, I feel like if Benoit didn't get off to such a slow start in that first round, it would have been a different story. Uh, man, I don't know how to feel about this one because like the the second round was the only like really convincing round, and I gave that one to like obviously that was for Benoit. Because uh, he busted up Tim Elliott's face. He had those submission attempts. Like, the first and the third were kind of close, man. So, like, I feel like the only convincing round was that was that second round. But I, I don't know. I guess it, it was one of those close ones that could have gone either way. I don't know, dude. I kind of had that one for Benoit. I, I felt like the third round was for him. Uh, but I'd have to rewatch this fight, though. I mean, we were talking about soccer and and bourbon, so I'd probably have to go back and watch this one. I'll be honest with you, Bill. They're both flyweights, so I wasn't super excited for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I share, I share that sentiment. Um, yeah, man. So not a whole lot of people up for the midweek card. I thought we would have had more people for the for the two hundredth episode, but you know, I, I'm glad for um the, the people who are here with us. I know, Mark, you've been drinking a whole bunch of different things. Matt hasn't told us what he's drinking here on a Wednesday night. Yeah, Bill, speaking of France, the the last time that they won the World Cup was in 98. Um, before, um, what year was it? Was it 2016 that they, when was the last World Cup? Might have been 2016. But, um, Bill, you and I watched the World Cup final in person. Remember, we were at that bar. And well, I don't think it was the final, but um, we were watching. I think it was Brazil versus uh, versus Belgium. That World Cup that we were watching, Bill, uh, and it's probably the only World Cup you've ever watched because you're not a big soccer fan. That World Cup was also won by France, but at that point, Zidane was long retired. I um, now I've watched a couple of World Cups, but like 
I um I won't like watch them on my own. Like I watched them with you. You were here visiting, and then I remember we came back to my house and we watched another game. But yeah, like I would watch them with you. Like somebody could explain to me like what's going on a little bit because all I know is like kick the ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then like the World Cup before that, when I was living just outside of Manhattan, it used to be fun to go to the sports bars mm. and like, just like the energy of it, like the, the World Cup was cool. And then when when Italy won it, I remember I was into it that time too, um, you know, since I'm half Italian. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool that Italy's in it. And from what I understand, the other half of my family's Irish. From what I understand, Ireland like probably – We'll, we'll never be in a World Cup final, but um, yeah. So you know, I've had my moments. Like I've I've dabbled in in pretty much every sport there is. You know, I was a baseball fan for a little while. I was I was a big Giants, you know, American football fan for a little while. Um, I when I was in college, I used to watch a lot of minor league hockey. Mm, okay. because, um, I went to school in Albany and uh, we had this minor league hockey team, the river rats. And uh, you could get tickets right up against the glass for like eight bucks. Nice. Yeah. So you go and you like, you pregame, like, you know, do a couple of shots and then you get on the bus and you like, you, you sneak a few more shots before you get in there and then find somebody who's 21 to get you some beers and you're up against the glass for eight bucks and, and it's minor league hockey. So it's like, these guys are fucking brutal, man. It's not like the <laughs> NHL where it's like a finesse game. Like these guys are just beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> and it was awesome. I loved it. Dude, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, I love live sports, man. I don't follow any sports except MMA and boxing and uh, like a little jujitsu, a little bit of Muay Thai. Um, uh, but, you know, outside of that, like the team sports, I, I just kind of like as my passion grew for MMA, uh, my passion dwindled for the team sports. And I just like, I, I don't know, the whole team versus team thing and like rooting for a team, like it just didn't vibe with me. It, it never really kind of vibed with me, like even when I was a kid. It and, and my parents put me in like little league and they would they would be like, Well, how was the game? And I'd be like, Well, we lost the game, but like I had a good game, like I had a couple of hits. And I <laughs> and um I think that's why I started like jiving with wrestling and combat sports and stuff because it, it wasn't like a team thing. Um so I don't know, maybe psychologically all along I'd never been like a team sport guy. Yeah, Bill, I, 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 I can understand that. I remember – I so, Mark, to answer your question, I follow soccer. Well, mostly the Premier League. I think the other leagues are kind of lame. But with the Premier League, I feel like everybody kind of fights for everything. Uh, sometimes I watch the Spanish League, but my problem with that is uh, it's called La Liga, which means the league in Spanish. Uh, my problem with that is it's only Real Madrid and Barcelona. Sometimes you'll get Atletico in there, but I, I don't want to watch that. I like the Premier League because every season I feel like it's been um, a new, uh, a younger team coming in. Like Leicester City has been doing really well lately. But um, I, I understand the whole team sports thing because I remember this one game in 
high school. I played high school soccer, and we were playing for a state championship. We were in the final 16, and the game was 1-0. We were winning. Like, we like we had it, Bill. We were going to win, and this one kid for, like, a second was just talking trash to a kid on the other team, and that left the, the other kid – onside because our the kid from my team was a defender and he was the last defender so they were able to get him behind us and score so they tied it and then they beat us in a shootout so i just remember being so pissed that it was out of my hands that it wasn't something that i did and we lost anyway even though i played well but uh yeah i can understand how team sports don't appeal. But at the same time, like, it's kind of cool having that unity, that togetherness, being able to lift a trophy. Uh, you know, we won the county championship when I was a junior in high school. So being able to, like, celebrate together, that was pretty cool too. But with MMA, I feel like it's one of the few lone combat sports where you, and, and maybe even boxing to an extent, where, you know, you have a team around you, you have your coaches. So I like, yeah, you're in there by yourself. And Nick Diaz, I think, said this, or Nick Diaz. But, uh, you know, you're in there by yourself, but you didn't get there by yourself. And I think that's what's so cool about it. It's kind of a team sport, but at the same time, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can feel you on the, um, the, the cool moments as a team sport. Because, like, I was a lacrosse player in high school, too. So it was um, – it was all wrestling and lacrosse for me. So like, you know, very obscure sports, like kind of off the beaten path. Like my dad wanted me to play football and baseball like he did. And I just didn't, I just didn't jive with those sports, man. I just liked stuff that was off the beaten path. But um, yeah, lacrosse was my team sport. And I, I guess I haven't talked about this too much on the show. Um, but yeah, I was, I was big time into lacrosse, man. I was, I, um, Almost had a full scholarship to play in college, but I blew out my knee. Um, and it was a fun sport because it was a team sport. But at the same time, you'd have those one-on-one -on -one fights where you could just, like, totally smash somebody or, or, like, you know, you get this metal stick you get to run around the field and hit people with. So, like, lacrosse is a good time, man. And we went – my senior year, we had a really good team for high school. We went to, uh, we went to sectionals. Mark is asking, he doesn't even know what lacrosse is. I think it's strictly an American sport. So lacrosse is like kind of a combination of soccer and hockey and it's played on grass. Uh, and you have your sticks like up in the air and, um, it it's, it's 11 on 11. Yeah. And you get to hit people with the sticks. Like it's actually like much fewer rules than hockey. So you can actually use the stick to hit somebody who has the ball. Um, and it's full contact. Like you could do, you could do shoulder checks. Uh, so like if the ball is loose and somebody else is going for the ball, you could just totally plow them over like a football hit. Um, yeah. yeah very awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Lacrosse is a really fun sport. It's horrible to watch. Like, especially like at the collegiate level, because they don't, they don't hit as much. It's more finesse. Um, but high school lacrosse is brutal, man. It it's it's one of the most brutal things I've ever done. Like I've I fucked up both my knees doing it. Um, and obviously I had bad knees and, and a bad back and everything like at an early age. Um 
you know, I had a big knee surgery like my sophomore year at college from this because actually while playing lacrosse, like the second time I blew out my right knee, I didn't know it, but like the back of my kneecap had chipped off and like a, like a chunk this big. And, um, freshman year of college, I was like the opposite of the freshman 15. Like I ran five miles a day. I was lifting weights, probably in the best shape of my life. And, um, sophomore year too and it towards the end of sophomore year i was moving out of my dorm and i was carrying this big trunk down the steps and i hit the last step and that chunk of bone broke off the back of my kneecap uh, and it sliced everything it tore my acl it tore my mcl and uh it, it put a slight tear in my meniscus so i had to have a big knee surgery and uh, have that piece of bone removed. And I still have the picture of it somewhere. Maybe I'll throw that up on the social media. But it was like this, Jeff. It was like a half dollar. And it was it was thick, too. Um, so that had to be pulled out. Uh, and it was like a year and a half to recover from that surgery. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't ride a bicycle. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was it. It was probably the worst time in my life i was like super depressed i, I put on a lot of weight obviously because i couldn't exercise at all and um it it, it took a lot to really kind of like pull myself out of that hole after that it was it was the most depressing time of my life like my girlfriend at the time left me <laughs> it was like i'm just like laying in a bed i can't do anything because <laughs> like my knees just destroyed um but you know, I, I feel like I became a better man because of it. And then I discovered things like jujitsu and stuff after college and, and life got better. So um, here we are at the main event, Jeff. Episode 200, four years of MMA on the rocks. Uh, Bruce Buffer's screaming and neither of us can hear him because we got the show muted. But we got Dan Ige, Calvin Cater, two of the most exciting featherweights on planet Earth. How are you feeling in this moment right now? Oh, dude, this is going to be awesome. Like, th this is the fight I've been waiting for. The last fight was okay, but I wasn't super into it because, again, they were flyweights. But, man, Dan Ige and Calvin Cater, dude, both of these guys bring it. Uh, I don't see this fight going past the third round. I think somebody is getting finished long before them. I hope so because it's already 1230. <laughs> And I would not like to be up like much past 1 a.m. But, you know, if it's a great fight, I'm here for it. And Mark wants to know real quick if we've seen that soccer fighting thing that's on Netflix. I, I did see the first episode of this. Jeff, ha have you seen this on Netflix? No, I haven't. But it looks like it's rugby and fighting. It's Dude. Called, yeah, it's called Home Game. It's like rugby, but like. When you come near another player, you can just have a bare knuckle fist fight with them. Oh, that's awesome! And 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 you can take them down too. But like once you take them down, you both have to stay on the ground. Like for the game? No, until like that play is over. Oh, that 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 part's kind of weird. But uh, dude, I actually I watch rugby whenever the Rugby World Cup is on. I think it's pretty. I think it's a pretty cool sport. It's it's a little bit manlier than football. In American football, I mean, because Bill, they they tackle each other and they don't wear like shoulder pads or anything. If the ball falls on the ground, it's still in play. Um, dude, rugby is cool. Yeah, rugby is a brutal sport, man. Um, 
my my ex-wife actually played rugby in college <laughs> it's like i used to go and watch the games it was, it was pretty brutal man um yeah yeah they hit each other pretty hard but it's like when you don't have pads on and they don't have pads on you kind of have to hold back to a degree like it's the same argument they have with like bare knuckle boxing it's like yeah you're bare knuckle and you can hit harder but like if you hit too hard you'll break your hand mm. uh so it's that kind of deal but like don't get me wrong it is brutal like like people who play rugby are, are fucking savages but yeah this netflix thing that shows the sport in italy it was weird because like and this uh the first round of this main event is just getting started but it's weird because like they're training like boxing and like hitting mitts but like they have no form like they have no ability to throw good punches but, like <laughs> they're like oh we're gonna have to do this at some point in the match so, <laughs> so they're just like they're just throwing whatever and it's like if you have any kind of MMA or boxing training, you're like, these guys don't know how to throw a punch. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see guys who are actually like trained in, in MMA get into this sport, but I doubt there's any money in it at all. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they're making a lot. Like they probably all have day jobs at the deli or something. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like the one guy like sells insurance or something. Like they followed like some of the athletes around. And they showed him like sitting at a desk, and his face is all bandaged up and stuff. Jeez, at some at some point, somebody's got to call HR. <laughs> yeah, right. Like somebody needs to be concerned. Yeah, because I remember when I was working in the corporate world, and I used to come in with like black eyes and stuff, and like everybody who knew me, they knew like I I was going training jujitsu and and boxing and stuff. But like other people who just see me in the elevator, they'd be like. Why why are you coming to work with a black eye like every couple of weeks? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> we got a big feeling out period here between Calvin Cater and Dan Ige. Yeah, they're definitely trying to measure distance in this first minute and a half. But uh give it time, Bill. It's gonna pick up soon. Yeah, for sure. Um I I know people who have personally trained with Calvin Cater and they, they said He's just an absolute beast in the training room. He's one of these guys that's like always sparring a hundred percent. Like the guy you don't want to spar with because he's like always wanting to go hard. And uh Ige grew up in Hawaii, I believe. So you know he knows how to fight for his whole life. Uh so you probably got two guys that are cut from the same cloth right here, and they're just kind of they're just trying to like gauge the distance on each other. And it looks like Cater's figuring out a little bit quicker. But we know from Ige's last fight that he can be a slow starter. Like his fight with Barbosa, like he clearly lost that first round. And then, you know, a lot of people thought that Barbosa got robbed in that fight. Um, maybe rightfully so. Um, but Ige did come on stronger as the fight went on. Yeah, yeah, and I remember thinking that when they were mentioning Ige's uh, five-fight win streak, thinking that uh, that I don't think, you know, I, I don't remember him doing too well against Barbosa. You know, I kind of felt like Barbosa got robbed. But um, Dan Ige goes for a little awkward takedown. He tried to just run straight through Calvin Gator, which I, I think he was just a little too far away from to finish that takedown. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a big proponent of you have to have contact before you shoot for a takedown. And if you don't have contact, you got to be at least you got to at least be able to grab their back from where you're standing. Um to to be successful with it with a takedown. Um yeah, I, I thought Barbosa got robbed in the in the fight with EA as well. Not as much as Max Holloway got robbed on Saturday night. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Jeff, but uh, FanDuel, the uh, the betting website, I believe yeah. they just got acquired by DraftKings. But um, they gave anybody who betted on Max Holloway, they gave them a full refund. Wow. Yeah. Cool. That 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 sent like a big statement. When you yeah. have a, a company that's worth that much, like a betting company, and they're giving money back to people, like when have you ever in your life heard of a betting company that's giving people refunds? Yeah, yeah, that's that's surprisingly nice of them. But I mean, you know, I mean, how many people probably also called in and were like, "Listen, Max Holloway got robbed. I want my money back." You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, but with betting sites. It's like they don't care who's calling in and saying anything. It's like whoever won won. And like, you know, if it's like a football game and there's like a bad referee decision or like, you know, the kick was like a little bit off, but like everybody thought it was in, but they called it no good. Oh, man, Cater just stealing this round at the end. Yeah, dude, and Mark Fellows also pointed this out, and I, was, I noticed this too. Cater doing a good job working that body, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cater Cater took this first round, but you know, like I said earlier, EA tends to be a slower starter. Cater's definitely like the more aggressive guy. EA is one of these guys who needs to get touched up a little bit to uh, to really turn it on. So you know, we'll see we'll see where it goes from here. But but it's definitely one nothing Cater here. Yeah, and you know, I think Cater was doing a great job using his length and uh, height advantage, which, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how Ige deals with that as well. Um, I, I didn't consider how much taller Cater could be than Ige. I mean, they don't look like a weight class apart, but, you know, it's definitely a factor. Yeah, I mean, it was a sloppy first round all around. Like, they were both missing a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're just showing the replay. Up a little under both eyes. So that's not a good thing. You don't want to have swelling under your eyes uh, in the after the first round of a five-round main event. Yeah, dude, absolutely. There's a lot of fight left, and... Could be a doctor stoppage if that I we lost you. Ends up to me. No, what's up, Bill? Can you hear me now? Sorry, it looks like I froze for a second there. All right, Bill, are you good now? Yeah, I think I'm back. Pour myself another Heaven Hill uh, seven year bourbon here for this main event. Ready to go. So we got the number six cater against the number 10 Ige. It looks like K 
Cater's figuring out how to close that distance with the jab a little bit. You see him stepping into the jabs now, and, and that's really a great tactic for, for closing that range. Yeah, dude, it looks like Cater is figuring out the game plan a little bit faster than Ige. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cater's one of these guys that, you know, if you watch his highlights and, and you watch clips of him, he looks like a brawler, but he's actually a very calculated boxer. Um, he, you know, he's good at like kind of downloading your patterns. You could see he's like measuring the head movement of Ige and he's trying to land the punches where he knows Ige's head is going to be. And that's a bad sign for Ige here. Um, because if he starts panicking and getting into habits and Cater has his habits kind of picked up, like you see, he's kind of ducking the same way every time. And Cater is kind of, he's kind of um, timing that right hook. Yeah, dude, I saw that too. Um, and, you know, Cater's kind of, pushing Ige toward his left hand. So, you know, those hooks are going to come in very handy. Looks like Cater is, like, bleeding from his nose now. So these guys kind of – I didn't really see where Ige was touching him up, but I guess when he touched them, he touched them pretty hard. Yeah, I actually just saw that now as well. Yeah, I don't even know when Ige hit him. Yeah, but it it's definitely bothering him because like uh Cater's like touching the blood on his nose and kind of feeling it. Oh yeah, now it's really coming out, dude. He looks like he might be trying to breathe through his mouth as well. A little bit. He's got his mouth like halfway open, which might Signal a broken nose. I don't know if it's that bad or if it's just a bloody nose right now. The other thing is, like, both of these guys can actually grapple, but I don't think either of them will in this fight. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, I'm as big a fan of stand-up as the ground game as well. But, dude, Ige is starting to kind of, you know, put a little bit more work out. In the at the end of the second round, so I think Ige is starting to figure out the pattern as well. Is it me or is this the first time we've seen Herb Dean tonight? Uh, I think he refed the opener of like the prelims. Yeah, so he did the opener, and then he did. He also did the Cosmot uh, Kamayev. Um, who submitted John Phillips with that Brabo choke. That was a nice win. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I enjoyed that fight, man. He's another guy. His level changes were on the money, dude. Kamzat Chaimaev. Yeah, dude, and uh, this was that was his UFC debut, Bill. He's only had six professional fights, and John Phillips, a seasoned veteran, man, 22 wins, uh, a bunch of finishes, man. His highlight reel was looking scary heading into that fight. Yeah, yeah, but Cosmot uh, trains over there with uh, Gustafson and Latifi. So, like, when you're in the room with guys like that, you kind of know where you stand. Mm. Um, I heard Chael Sonnen talk about that on his podcast today where, 
he was saying like he knew where he stood in the world of MMA because he was training with Dan Henderson and Matt Lindland and Randy Couture and like he knew what he could do with those guys, but it was just a matter of of getting the opportunity, and that's why he kind of had to create that bad guy character. Mm. Uh, I love Chael Sonnen's story, man. Um, uh, I, I'm a big time fan of of his whole his whole career, really, and 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 like everything he's done since with the broadcasting and the podcasting and everything like that. Like, um, I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm a big. Uh, Chael Sonnen fan like he really kind of revolutionized the whole like talking to get what you want in MMA and like being able to market yourself and create a character for yourself and pave the way for guys like Conor McGregor and Sean O'Malley and and all these other guys that are that are kind of like figuring out their personality out there um and and Chael can be so entertaining too, man. Like, you know, like Connor had his spots where, you know, one could say they were in poor taste, like uh, the build up to the Khabib fight. You know, I, I, I didn't like a lot of some of the stuff he was saying. But, dude, Chael could, you know, he was disrespectful too, but he was so entertaining that you couldn't take him seriously. Yeah. And, and like, guys kind of like Anderson Silva, I feel like was kind of in on it. And and Chael is even it. He he hasn't said it directly, but he's kind of said like, "Yeah, Anderson knew what I was doing." Yeah, dude. Remember when? Uh, <laughs> remember when he said, uh, "Oh, you know, uh, when he said to Anderson Silva that he was one of the Brazilian kids playing in the mud." But then after the fight, after the second fight, um, I think it was Silva who said, "You know, Chael can come to my house anytime for a barbecue." Like. You gotta love the guy, you know. Like, yeah, uh, he he knew. Like Anderson knew that he's like, let this guy sell the tickets. He's like, I'll show up on fight night. Oh yeah, dude. Um, dude, I loved Chael's, uh talks with um, with what's his name, Tito Ortiz, just because Tito couldn't understand what was happening, so Chael just got under his skin so well. I don't think Tito understands what's happening in most conversations he has. Yeah, man. There's this um, there's this channel I follow. It's called Borachina Depot, I think. And he just posts like dumb shit that Tito Ortiz says. <laughs> like he he makes clips of it. He also does like Brendan Schaub, and uh, like sometimes he'll put dumb stuff Joe Rogan says. But like he'll just <laughs> he'll just take a clip of it and he'll just be like Tito Ortiz out of context, and it. It's really hilarious. I gotta look. I gotta look this guy up so I could. I could share his handle. Oh man, I'll never forget when Chael said to Tito, um, "You always say that I use my mouth to make money, but the only person who ever used mouth to make money was your ex-wife, because <laughs> he was married to Jenna Jameson." And yeah. Dude, oh man. Oh man, I love Chael so much. Dude, Jenna Jameson—that's a throwback name. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. So this guy Borashina Depot on Twitter. It's at Full Contact M T W F. Um, and he, he 
his avatar is a picture of Mike Goldberg missing a tooth, but he just. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny to me. <laughs> he just uh he just posts these clips of like dumb shit Tito Ortiz says, or like he'll find you know those cameo videos that people do? Yeah. He'll find like somehow he gets his hands on the ones like Tito does or like Chuck Liddell and and he just shows like Chuck Liddell trying to read a script and it's it's pretty sad to see, but it's like also pretty funny. Yeah, dude. So, Bill, who do you have winning this fight so far? I think that the first round is more for Cater. Probably the second one, too, but Danny Gay is starting to come alive a little bit in this third round. He is, but Cater's still kind of controlling the cage. And it, and I feel I found that that's what the judges look at a lot, like which guy's backing up more. See, like even there, like, like Cater backed up and Ige landed a big shot, but um, for the most part, Ige has been backing up most of the round. And I try to look at it from like what these judges are seeing. And like, obviously we don't have any judges with any MMA experience, you know? Yeah. That was made obvious last weekend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it's like, I, I think if you're in there, if you're looking to outpoint a guy, you got to be pressuring the whole time. And that's what I see Cater doing even in this third round. And Ige's face just keeps swelling up, man. Like, you might not be able to see out of that right eye by the end of this fight. Yeah, dude. And Calvin Cater, you know, being very methodical, not rushing into anything. And it looks like he's picking his shots and, like you said, controlling the cage really well. Yeah. And uh, Julian Gonzalez just joining the show wants to know who's winning. I think Jeff and I both agree that, that Cater possibly has taken all three rounds right now. I mean, the second round was close. The third round is close. But, I, I mean, if I had to lean one way on either round, I'm probably giving all of the first three to Calvin Cater right now. Yeah, it's hard to argue with you. Mark Fellows wants to know if Anderson Silva ever cooked that steak for Chael. Medium rare, just the way he likes it. <laughs> oh, man, that was another line of legend too, man. Yeah, and you know, he never he never really crossed the line. Like he came right up to the line and kind of like looked over it, but like he never cursed. That's the thing with Chael. Like he doesn't drink, he doesn't use four-letter words. Uh he's such an odd guy and he's such a great storyteller. That's why I enjoy his podcast so much. And I I asked on Twitter, um, I think it was yesterday, like what's a a podcast you'll never miss an episode of. And for me, it's, it's Chael Sonnen. Uh, you're welcome. Like to me, the guy is just like a brilliant analyst and like such a great storyteller. And I've heard him tell like some of the same stories over and over again. And I just enjoy the way he tells stories. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a good storyteller. Do you remember when, um, when he did that interview with Ariel Hawani and he told the story of, <laughs> With oh yeah, yeah, I forgot you don't like Ariel Hawani. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, wait, hold on. Blake Byers uh just joining the show. We're in round four right now, four minutes thirty-five seconds, if you want to sync up. Uh and it looks like Calvin Cater's winning this fight. But Dan Ige just hit a almost a takedown. I don't know if it would count because uh Calvin Cater had that wizard and he was able to stand right up with it. 
Yeah, dude. But remember when Chael was telling that story of uh, when um, when the Noguera brothers <laughs> first showed up to the United States? <laughs> they were trying to feed a carrot to a bus. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, and he's pet. He was petting the bus, and he was like, "Whoa, big fella!" <laughs> oh man! And he's like, "Do you believe that that happened?" <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> he's great, man. And he he used to talk about growing up on the mean streets of West Lynn, Oregon, and he was like. <laughs> I have to watch people jaywalk. (laughs) The air conditioning would break down and we'd have to go jump in our swimming pool. (laughs) That's how rough we had it. (laughs) Oh, man. He's He's like, my neighbors were twins and they only had one Mercedes and they had to share that Mercedes. Um, yeah, yeah, that was the other. <laughs> they had to fight over who would ride shotgun and who would drive. <laughs> and week. <laughs> One time at a park, I saw a guy litter right in front of me, <laughs> and somebody came along and picked it up within minutes. But I had to witness that litter being put on the ground. <laughs> uh, Mark fell. It's just what I thought. I could enjoy a man on the rocks anymore. Bill states he doesn't like Ariel. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm actually for the fighters, man. I'm a big supporter of fighters. I don't believe in causing drama between fighters. The only fighters you will see on this show are fighters that I like personally and I want to see have success in their careers. And I'm not here to start any shit. And I feel like there are a lot of journalists and podcasters out there who are just looking to get their name out there and they just want to create headlines and create drama and create problems for these guys. Um, and that's not what they need. They need to be supported and they need to be, uh, you know, put on the pedestals that they deserve to be on. I'm here to lift people up and, and not put them into dramatic scenarios. And um, that that's all I'll really say about that. I don't even like mentioning that guy's name. Um, you know, unless he's up for like a, a podcaster on podcaster grappling match. Then Bill, he is surprisingly tall, man. He he I think he's over six feet. I saw him in person this one time. Um I didn't say anything because I didn't know who he was, but um he's considerably tall, man. So that's know. not that's not a problem, Jeff. All right. I'm just saying if you have a hard time taking him down. Wait a second. If I have a hard time taking him down, yeah, he might have a good sprawl, Bill. That won't matter. That won't matter. Put him on his back, thirty seconds or less. All right. Um. Yeah. In any case, I, I'm not into like the the drama and stuff like that, and I I don't like I don't like guys who try to put fighters in precarious situations to get their names out there. Um, that's not why I got into this. We were talking about this at the beginning, Jeff. It's just about us having drinks and having a good time watching fights. Yeah, dude. And Mark Fellows also doesn't understand the beef between him and Luke Thomas. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Mark. I actually don't care for Luke Thomas. Um, 
I think some of the stuff he posts on Twitter sometimes is stupid. So when I see something like that, I just keep scrolling, dude. So yeah, I can tell you what their beef is about. I used to like listening to Luke Thomas when he was on the Sirius XM um, when I had a subscription to that. But yeah, he he does he gets kind of like sensitive. And um, I do respect Luke Thomas because he does actually have some training experience, which is not something you could say for a lot of these big name uh, MMA journalists. As we're coming to the uh, end of the fourth round of this main event here and Danny Gay looking a little worse for wear. Um, but yeah, Luke, uh, Luke Thomas is actually like fought and trained and like served in the military. Whereas, um, whereas there are other guys out there in this MMA media space who have zero training, but they have a lot to say about, you know, guys who fight. And I don't really understand that. Like, I don't, I don't see how you can be an analyst of this sport without having done the sport. You know, like a lot of like uh, like baseball journalists and stuff like that, they've played baseball at like a collegiate level or something like that. Um, but I guess MMA is kind of like that rare space where, you know, it's such a new sport. Um, you don't have enough people in the media who have actually done the sport. And but, but luckily we've seen like a lot of great former fighters who have turned out to be great analysts like Kenny Florian has an awesome podcast with John Anik. Um, you know, obviously Chael Sonnen, uh, Dominic Cruz has become an amazing analyst. We got guys like Bisping and Felder who are doing the commentary tonight. Um, Daniel Cormier, um, you, you know, the list is, is getting larger and larger. Rashad Evans, guys that are really good at um at being analysts and 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 being part of the media and the broadcasting departments of the sport um yeah man so we're at the fifth round now four minutes 12 seconds and uh it looks like they're both in there cater is still pressuring but a little bit more slowly and ige is springing back with his counters a little quicker uh, so it looks like Ige has a little bit more spring in his step. What are you saying, Jeff? I don't know, dude. I, I just feel like Calvin Cater has done such a good job of using the distance better and, you know, being able to just touch up Dan Ige without taking too much damage. So, you know, some people have given Dan Ige a round, but I don't know which one. I kind of have had all four for Calvin Cater here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just saw a tweet pop up that said 39-37 Cater, which would indicate that they gave one round to Ige. I don't know which one. I mean, it could have been any number. Like, the second round was close. The third round was close. But, like, overall, I feel like it's been all Cater. Yeah. Yeah, hard to argue with that. You know, he's just controlling the distance better. And, you know... Danny Gay is taking a lot of damage to it. His face is all cut up. His right eye looks like it's getting ready to close. Yeah, it's kind of looked like that since the end of the first round. And he's got like a weird kind of cut on his forehead too. And we saw in the second round, Cater had that bloody nose. And we we're kind of questioning if his nose is broken. 
that's actually looked better as the fight has gone on somehow. Yeah, you got to give it to the cut man, dude. He's been taking care of him. Yeah, it looks like Cater is looking to get into some big striking exchanges, but after each one, he's taking some big, deep breaths. Yeah, but Ige, he's, he's just having a hard time dealing with the length of Cater and... You know, he's having a hard time getting inside, getting past Cater's guard here. Yeah. It doesn't help. That right eye is almost swollen shut. Yeah, uh, it's, it's looking a lot worse. It's it's almost to the point. Like, if Herb Dean were standing on the other side, he might bring in a doctor to look at it. Yeah, and if Herb Dean were standing on the other side, Ige probably wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> that is how close that eye is looking. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's closed up pretty good. Man, Ige is still swinging though. Man, just ripping to the body right there. He tried for that body hook though. That body hook combination. That's like a, that's like a Tyson, right? Mm. But he's landing on the body, missing at the head. So that that's a prop. That's a big range problem right there. Because if you can land to the body and then you miss to the head, that's saying that you weren't close enough range to throw that combination. Yeah, but Bill, if that eye is closed, his depth perception might be a little bit off. But it's a left hook. He's throwing mm -hmm. a left hook to the body. Left, to, But yeah, you're right. If the, the right eye is closed, that's kind of... It's kind of throwing everything off. Yeah, man, it just keeps swelling up. Like I said earlier on, like he's probably not going to be able to see out of the out of that eye by the end of the fight. He's going to have to have that thing drained when he gets in the back. Yeah, dude, an Ige shooting for a takedown, but nothing for it. Hey, brought Cater to a knee at least. Um, I don't know. Ige came on like Ige was the aggressor in this round. I'll give him that. These guys are going after it. Oh, and Ige finished on his back, taking big shots from Cater, though. I mean, you got to think Cater's taking this one. Yeah, but credit to Ige, man. He is a tough dude. He stayed in there. Uh, unfortunately, Cater just did a better job of executing the game plan tonight. You got to think 49-47 Cater. Like, Ige probably took one in there somewhere, right? Yeah, but I couldn't tell you which round. I mean, it could have been a it could have been a number of them. It could have been the second. It could have been the third. It could have been the fifth. But like, definitely not all three of those. Like, maybe they gave him one. I I wouldn't be totally surprised if I saw a fifty forty five for Gator. Yeah, especially like. Ige probably came on the strongest in that fifth round. Like, you got to give it to him. He was swinging up to the last bell, but then he ended the round on his back, taking big shots. So. Yeah, and that's kind of the story of um, probably the third and fourth, too. You know, Ige had his moments, but the finish of the round might have gotten more for Cater. I'm seeing on Twitter, 
um, a lot of the same 50-45 or 49-46 cater. And, yeah, it's, um, that's probably the way it went. All right. We're going to find out right now. I can't hear what Bruce Buffer's saying, but yeah, Calvin Gator. I didn't hear the scores. Unanimous decision, and Danny Gay's right eye is completely shut. So just like I predicted at the end of the first round, uh, his eye would be completely shut by the end of the fight, and it is. All right, so good performance by Gator. Yeah, they're showing the significant strikes. He outscored him in every round except the second. So, yeah. And even then, it was 9 to 10. So, it was super close. Yeah. Yeah, man. That right eye has seen better days for Dan Gay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was kind of cool. They all took a picture of the, the two teams all together. I've never really seen that before. Right, Bill, that is pretty cool. Yeah, why don't they do that more often? Yeah, good, good, fight. Sportsmanship. good fight that goes the distance. That's a really good sportsmanship. I like that. Um, yeah, man. So, another division that's kind of tied up pretty well. And uh, some, some nice comments from Mark that uh, there wasn't a lot of us here today, but he wants to congratulate us uh, for doing the podcast. And um, he enjoys it more than the the commentary on the UFC uh, telecast. So that's an awesome compliment. We appreciate that, Mark. We appreciate you tuning in so often, especially when we do these live shows. And honestly, we appreciate everybody who's ever tuned in from episode one through episode 200. I mean, I don't see any reason why we would stop doing this in the near future, Jeff. But, uh, you know. It's been a wild ride, four years. We've done a lot of these in person. We've had UFC fighters on here. We've had Bellator fighters. We've had Invicta fighters. Uh, we've had high-level jiu-jitsu black belts. We've had MMA referees. Uh, we've had people who just train jiu-jitsu and have, like, regular jobs. We've had all kinds of people on here. We've enjoyed all kinds of drinks on this show. We've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about raising children. We've talked about other sports. We've talked about all kinds of crazy shit. Oh, man. And they're talking to Danny Yeh right now, and his eye is completely shut. His right eye, he definitely can't see out of it. You're seeing this, Jeff? Yeah, dude, it is. I mean, his whole face is mangled up, but that right eye, super swollen. Uh yeah, he's gonna have to get that thing drained. I would, I would imagine. But yeah, where I was going with that is, is thanks to everybody who's who's ever tuned in to an episode. And if you've listened to all two and a half hours of this episode, then you're definitely an MMA on the rocks trooper, and uh, you should probably definitely own an MMA on the rocks shirt that are on sale at uh, RipLifeOne.com, and you can find the direct link. Uh, in the bio of my Instagram at MMA on the rocks fun night of fights, Jeff. 
Um, so tell me real quick who impressed you the most on this card. I'll go over real quick uh, some of the highlights. Obviously, um, great main event between Calvin Cater, Dan Ige, Tim Elliott with the United decision over uh, Ryan Benoit, Jimmy Rivera getting the nod over Cody Stamen. Uh, Talia Santos, I thought, looked very dominant over Molly McCann. Then we had uh, Munir Lazes getting the unanimous decision over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Um, Kamzat Chiamev with the submission over John Phillips. I think we both agree that was one of the most impressive ones. And then uh, Lerone Murphy with the TKO over Ricardo Hamos. I think that one's up there as well. Uh, Modestas Bukaukas. We, uh, we didn't, we didn't talk about this one yet, Jeff over Andreas uh, Michalides, the TKO at the, at the end of the first round. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But uh, we'll circle back to that because I just want to get through this. Jared Gordon with the Nash decision over Chris Fishgold. Big win for him. Liana Jojua with the arm bar over uh, uh, Diana Belvita. And Jack Shore with the rear naked chokes and mission over Aaron Phillips. So who impressed you the most? And then I definitely want to circle back to that TKO of uh, Michaelides. Yeah, I'm going to go with... Uh, Kamzat Kimaev um, over John Phillips with that very nice, um, they're calling it a Darce choke. It looks kind of like an anaconda. But yeah, uh, for me, I was most impressed with him. Um, dude, just able to, you know, in his UFC debut, be so dominant against someone with so much fight experience. And, you know, the way he changed his levels, we didn't see too much to him because, you know, his ground game was really good. Uh, he needed one takedown to keep the fight on the ground in that whole first round. And it was more of the same in the second round up until um, the the Darce choke finish at the end. So I was really impressed with him. I thought he was um, I thought he was going to run into a lot more problems. So good for him. Yeah, I was really impressed with him too. For me, the most impressive performance was Leron Murphy. Um, just because he came in being touted as this high-level boxer against this high-level grappler, and he finished the fight on the ground. And after going to the ground and feeling uh, Hikaru Hamos like, almost take his back, he still decided to take the fight to the ground again. Like He felt like he could still exist in that world with him and dominate him there and, and knocked him out twice, basically, because he hit him with that elbow where after Hamas's head hit the mat, he kind of woke back up. That was pretty wild. If you guys missed the prelims, the prelims were phenomenal. We had so many great performances. Um, and Jack Shore, the fighter out of Wales, man, he really impressed me too. Yeah. Uh, because his pace and his pressure with a guy like Aaron Phillips, who's a real veteran, you know, he was there, he was in the UFC uh, years ago, and he had to go and earn his spot back. Uh, fighting on the local circuits and stuff like that. And he was able to work his way back. But Jack Shore, man, staying undefeated, getting that submission. And he was just relentless in there, man. Just kept hunting for position, kept hunting for submissions, kept hunting for ways to uh, improve where he was in the fight. 
and uh, it was it was really impressive, man. But let's talk about this um, Bukowskas and uh, Mikalides. So Bukowskas had Mikalides up against the fence, and he was hitting him with elbows that were all legal, mind mind you. The round ends, and Bukowskas backs away, uh, you know, as he should. And Mikalides is holding the back of his head as if he had got hit in uh, hit in a illegal way. And he looked, he was looking down at the mat, and then he sits up and he goes to sit against the cage. But they had it was the section of the cage that has the door, and they had opened the door, and he fell through the door. And the referee Daniel Movahedi called a stop to the fight right then and called a TKO. It said it's over. Michael Bisbing was saying like, well, he didn't know the door was open and he was just trying to lean against the cage. And yeah, that makes sense. But then you saw him after the fact, first of all, when you saw him take the elbows at one point, you saw him break. So he took three, four, five elbows. I think it was. And then you saw like the muscles in his shoulders just collapse which is an indication that the fighter is knocked out. And then he's like this slumped over at the end of the round. Uh, Bukowskis backs off and he's still slumped over and he tries to sit up and he falls over because he thought the cage was there, but it wasn't. But then when they sat him back up, Jeff, he was clearly concussed. He was clearly out of it. I thought this was an excellent stoppage by the referee. Like you can't let that guy go back out there. Yeah, I understand, like, maybe he thought the cage was going to be behind him. But also, don't blindly sit backwards. Like, a guy who has his bearings is going to maybe lean forward and, like, climb up on the cage and, like, turn himself around. A guy who doesn't have his bearings is just going to blindly fall backwards. Um, what did you think about this one? Well, initially, it to me, it looked like the shots were to the back of the head. But after watching the replay, I agreed with the ref. I thought it was a good stoppage because, like you said, um, what's his face? Um, Michaelitis, which I'm probably butchering his name, and I apologize. But, dude, he was out of it, man. Even uh, And, you know, when the fight was over, you only roll back like that when you're tired or when, you're, when you don't want to continue. Um, it's kind of like when, uh, when they tell you not to cross your feet. To me, when you start crossing your feet um, in a combat sport, it's usually a bad sign. So that's what this was for me. There are a lot of bad signs there, dude. I thought the ref made the right call. He fell straight back. Even if there's a fence behind you there, you you know, you know shouldn't be falling back like that. Um, and like you said, it looked like he had lost his bearings. He didn't know where he was, dude. So full credit to the ref, man. I, I thought he made the right call, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, good card overall. Uh, I don't have too many post-fight thoughts. I think I would like to see Dan Ige and Makwan Amirakani. I think that would be a fun fight uh, to put together after Dan Ige heals his eye up and you know Amirakani kind of got out of his last fight um, basically without a scratch. Uh, I, I think that would be a good one. I think Dan Ige... Proved he can definitely be a contender in this division. And Amir Khani is clearly a contender in this division. I think it would be a great opportunity for both guys to kind of prove themselves. I think it would be a fun fight. Yeah, 
It's hard to argue with that. And Bill, what do you see next for Calvin Cater here? Um, hmm. I mean, he was ranked sixth, and he just beat the number ten guy. Um, it it's hard, you know, it's hard because this is a division that's that's kind of bottleneck as well. Yeah. Um. I mean, you can't put him for title contention, but obviously he deserves somebody that's that's in that top five. But who I don't know. Yeah. Um, what division are they? Are they one forty fivers? I forget. One fifty five. They're one forty five. Um. So for Calvin Cater, I'd like to see him fight maybe like a Josh Emmett. Um, oh, that's a fun fight. Yeah, I think that would be a good fight for him. Um, I think Emmett is saying like he wants a title shot or nothing, and he's willing to sit out. Um, but yeah, that's a really fun one. Man, down the line, Cater and Holloway would be a really cool fight. Oh, I like that one too. What do you think of Cater Ortega maybe somewhere down the line? Oh, that's a good one. Especially because what I want to see for this division, I want to see Max move to 155. I want to see Volkanovski take on Korean Zombie. Um, and Ortega is like really trying to get that Korean Zombie fight. But yeah, um, Cater Ortega is a fun one. I think that's... Yeah, that's my ideal situation right there. Volkanovski takes on Korean Zombie. Max goes to 155. And then, uh, yeah, we get Ortega versus Calvin Cater. That that would be perfect. That would that would make everything play out great. Um, Ken Slaughter says that at that point, he may have been looking for an illegal elbow call. I agree, because yeah. you can even see all the bruising was on the side of his head. And um, Mark wants to know Whitaker versus Till predictions. Um, for me, Darren Till is kind of an anomaly. He's one of these guys like you can't really count out, but man, I don't see what he brings to the table for Robert Whitaker. I I think I think if Whitaker is focused. And he's patient, not like the Whitaker we saw against Adesanya, where he was kind of rushing things a little bit. But if he goes back to like his old strategy of being a good counter striker and just being a strong, he definitely has a, a grappling advantage over Darren Till. There's no question about that. Darren Till was submitted by Tyron Woodley. And, and I would say that Robert Whitaker probably has superior grappling grappling not wrestling to Tyron Woodley um even though Whitaker is I, I believe he was on a, like a national champion team in Australia for wrestling like he he didn't wrestle like in high school and college or anything but he became like a wrestler a little bit later on but he's got good wrestling but his jiu-jitsu is definitely far superior to Darren Till's uh, but I don't even see him needing it uh, to to me, this this one I definitely favor Robert Whitaker. Um, what do you think, Jeff? 
Yeah, I agree with you on that. Just because of Whitaker's experience um, as a champion uh, at middleweight, you know, he fought a lot of different style opponents. You know, he had uh, his wars with Yaw Romero, uh, who's an awesome wrestler, um, beat Jakare on his way to the belt, who's excellent jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, has fought his fair share of strikers even before um, being a middle, being, um, you know, middleweight champion. Uh, I'm trying to think, was it Marvin Vittori that he fought? Um, the, the name escapes me, but, you know, um, he's fought some excellent kickboxers. So I think that just based on Whitaker's experience, you know, he hasn't been spoon in the UFC, whereas, you know, not to say that Darren Till has been spoon fed, but he, you know, Darren Till has fought a lot of guys with similar styles to him. Whitaker's fought a lot of different looks, man. Whitaker's very experienced and he's prepared himself well for all of those looks. You know, he focused more on jujitsu and grappling when he fought Jakari and he did a great job against Jakari, man. Jakari was on top of him. Whitaker was able to escape. He was able to nullify takedowns. Uh, same against Yoel Romero. So I think I got to go with Whitaker on this one, man. Yeah. And not a lot of guys can say that. And, you know, Darren Till got knocked out by Jorge Masvidal, who's, you know, a smaller guy than Robert Whitaker. You know, he's the guy who fought at lightweight before and Whitaker, of course, fought at welterweight before like Darren Till did, but, um, you know, became the champion at 185. I really don't see it. This is really a bad matchup for Darren Till, in my opinion. But um, in any case, Jeff, we're at like two hours and 40 minutes of this 200th episode. And um, it's been a good time as always, but, we're probably like uh, outstay our welcome <laughs> a lot longer. And, uh, you know, I know the audio listeners will, will come in full force as always. Um, but but thanks for everybody to uh, who uh, joined in for the uh, Brawl Crawl on a Wednesday night. Uh, it's now 1.20 a.m. here on the, on the East Coast. So um, it's time to call it, I think. You got anything you want to get off your chest, Jeff? Yeah, just, you know, thank you to all the fans. Thank you to anyone who's listened, even for a second, man. You know, we really appreciate it. And like we're always saying, we didn't even think we'd get this far. So thank you to everybody. And, Bill, thank you for having me along for the ride, man. It's always a fun time talking MMA with you. Yeah, man, it wouldn't be a show without the animal. <laughs> In any case, if you uh, if you want to get a hold of, of Jeff the Animal Wilson, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter and Instagram. You guys know how to get a hold of me by now. It's at MMA on the Rocks everywhere on social media. We love hearing from you guys outside of the show. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there. If you want to get yourselves an MMA on the Rocks t-shirt, you can do so at riplife1.com. You can find the direct link to our t-shirt uh, in my Instagram bio at MMA on the Rocks. That's all we got. Two hours and 41 minutes. We're going to call it here. UFC on ESPN 13. We had an awesome time doing somewhat live commentary for this event. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Until next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>